Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got him! Looking away, McCann around third, throw from the outfield is up the line, inside the park home run! He gone! And he makes a catch up against the wall. And he's going to watch it fly. Strike three called. He got him on strikes. Welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the West U Boys website. We are SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, and you can find us online at blessyouboys.com, also on Twitter at blessyouboys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, along with my co-host, Rob Rojacki. And Rob, here's the thing. It was 48 degrees last week, a little bit rainy, a little bit foggy, but warmer. The sun didn't set until after 6 o'clock today baseball had better be right around the corner because I am completely out of ways to distract myself from this boredom of no baseball. Well, it better be around the corner. It's like 20 degrees here right now. Is it it's really? freezing here in DC. Yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to get some snowstorms. I think in the next couple of days, it's just, it's a tease, you know, it's like that, that day that it was like 48 and rainy. It felt like a late day in March. And I, I had that like muscle memory, brain memory thing going on where it was like, oh, that, that feeling, that weather, that makes me want to go turn the TV on and watch a Tigers game in April, but it was it was still February, so so well, we we finally got everything melted from uh, our big snowstorm a couple weeks ago. That's right, you guys almost so, died out there. Yeah, uh, you know, I was up in New York, so they kind of know how to handle it there, but, <laughs> right. uh, and then making my way back to D.C. was fun, but I'm just, here we are. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying it's, uh, the Super Bowl was on Sunday, which marks the official end of the NFL season. And that's for a lot of people, you know, kind of the way to pass the time, you know, in, in the baseball off season. And now that's over. And I don't give a fart about hockey or basketball or any of that. So it's it's kind of like uh... March Madness is fun. And that kind of breaks the monotony of spring training. But okay. no, it's it's baseball season. Let's do this. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll uh, attempt to uh, pay attention to some March Madness for the first time and see what that's all about. I don't know. Well, you paid attention to the Lions and Calvin Johnson retired, so you should probably ignore March Madness. <laughs> I might jinx everything. It's your fault. It is. And Just I'm out. Throw I'm that like, out there. I am out of books to read. I'm out of movies to watch. I'm out of TV shows to binge on. I I need Miguel Cabrera at the bat. That's just that's that's all there is to it. Anyway, we do have a show this week, and rumor has it we will have a show next week, too, because uh, Dan Dickerson should be joining us for a 2016 preview next week. But this week, uh, we're going to talk about the Tigers' offseason as a whole, how the team is being wildly underestimated in the AL Central, which prospects to keep an eye on, who's coming to spring training in a couple of weeks. We'll take our usual... Uh, plate of listener questions and then we'll wrap up by ripping on sports media and affirming how awesome we are in comparison to that but before we do all that let's round the bases and talk about the latest news this week the tigers took care of business with jd martinez and that's a good thing we'll get into the dirty details right after the break 110 pound ready delivers as a fly ball left field this one's deep this one's got a chance and this ball is gone a Ian Kinsler delivers the walk-off. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob scene at home. And the Tigers take the series from D.C. A walk-off home run from Kinsler. Eight to six. 
All right, let's round the bases, Rob. The big news this week, of course, the Tigers signing J.D. Martinez to, I'm, I'm not really sure even what you call that. that is that a, technically a contract extension? Is that just a pre-arbitration pickup? What, what, what actually happened there? I think you can officially decline, or you can define it as an extension because uh, I guess if you think about it, his contract isn't guaranteed while he's under club control. Like they could just as easily, you know, next off season, they could before this, they could have been like, well, see ya and non-tendered him. It would have been extremely stupid to do so, but they technically could have done that. So I guess if we're being, you know, literal about this, it is a contract extension. But the point is more J.D. Martinez, right? Well, the the same amount of J.D. Martinez, really. I mean, we uh, the, the Tigers signed him to a two-year deal, uh, and that helps avoid arbitration over the next two seasons, but it doesn't keep him in Detroit any longer than he was going to be in the first place. So it's, you know, it looks nice in a headline, but all it really does is just kind of tells us how much he's going to cost this year and next. All right, then uh, I will not get excited about this at all because it's just the same amount of jd martinez but okay then what what's the upshot to this deal they signed him for a two-year extension uh it looks like 18 and a half million dollars total 6.75 million this year another 11.75 million in 2017 what i mean really what's it, they wanted to get him locked up i get that but i i, I would have thought and i'm questioning maybe you would have thought the same thing why just two years why not four why not five well, I th- a lot of times, like when we were talking about J.D. Martinez's extension or a possible extension for him earlier this offseason, we were thinking of it as him being kind of the star of the outfield. Uh, you know, he could have anchored that outfield for, you know, the next three, four or five seasons, however long he would have signed for. A lot of people were thinking that Martinez might have given the Tigers a little bit of a hometown discount or that the Tigers could have gotten a slight discount, you know, locking him up early as opposed to waiting until he gets a free agency but i don't necessarily think that that was going to be the case you know he's had two monster seasons in a row there aren't really any signs that he's going to fall back to what he was before so if he goes into free agency with four excellent seasons under his belt and who knows how many home runs uh on his resume, then he's going to make a ton of money. Um, And the reason why I think things have changed now is because you have Justin Upton locked into a six-year contract. Um, You know, with him, you're paying him 22-odd million dollars over the next six seasons. Uh, I don't necessarily know if the Tigers want to have two of those guys locked up up for a long-term you know, long-term deals. And with Martinez getting potentially that much or even more, that's, you know, a lot of money to add to an already, you know, pretty hefty payroll. True enough, but it doesn't change the fact that when when I saw this news come across the desk, so to speak, I was a little surprised. I was quite surprised actually, because when we talked, you know, in in uh, in months past about the fact that yeah, of course they were going to extend J.D. Martinez, I was thinking, you know, that they were going to get out ahead of his free agent years when he's going to you know be able to demand a lot more money. You get out in front of that, you go ahead and lock him up for another four or five years at least, and do it ch- more cheaply than if they wait until you know. A couple of years from now, when, like you said, he's going to be worth a lot more. This is this the end of J.D. Martinez in Detroit, I guess, is what I'm wondering. I don't necessarily know it's the end of Martinez in Detroit. Uh, I mentioned Upton earlier, and the Tigers have him on a six-year deal, but he gets to opt out if he wants to after two years. And there's going to be, you know, I, I don't see many situations in which Upton doesn't opt out of that deal. Um, you know, I believe one of the SB Nation writers 
called it basically called it a two-year, forty-four million dollar deal because you know it just seems like such a odds uncertainty that Upton's going to opt out. If he does opt out, the Tigers are going to have both him and Martinez hitting free agency, but they're also going to have quite a bit of payroll freed up. Uh, from you know not having to pay Upton over the next four seasons to be able to go and really kind of pay Martinez whatever they want. Um, you know Martinez has said that he wants to spend the rest of his career in Detroit. I know that a lot of players say that. Yeah, they uh, all just, say that, and then they, they all say that. Go. I Max Scherzer said that too, but you kind of get the feeling that Martinez might give the Tigers kind of an Alex Gordon type discount. Uh, you know, it is actually kind of a similar situation if you think about it in that the, the Royals really stuck with Gordon when he was struggling and, the, you know, the Tigers uh, worked quickly to lock Martinez up when he first came available. So maybe they do get a little bit of that discount there, but, you know, that's really two years down the road. Um, and uh, as we kind of noted last week when we read off all those names that were still around in 2013, a lot can change in just two years. Oh, absolutely it can, but it doesn't, I guess... For me, mentally, I'm having a hard time adapting to what I, I guess is now the, the, you know, the Al Avila era as opposed to the Dave Dombrowski era because we got so used to seeing players like J.D. Martinez, and you can compare that with you know, Justin Verlander, Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez. When, it, when you get a good player on the club and the, the team decided to lock that player up, we're used to seeing huge contracts, 10 years, you know, 7 years, this kind of thing. And boy, it sure seems like Alavila is all about doing business differently. And, you know, the, the, the contracts that they're signing now, you talked about Upton having an opt-out after a couple of years. We, we look back at, uh, I think it's uh, K-Rod's contract as a team option after two years. Um, even this, this Martinez, J.D. Martinez contract being only for two years. It's almost like uh, Avila is, I don't know how you would describe that. He's, he's like lining up the, the pieces for this this massive turnover coming in in 2018. Yeah, it's really interesting to see what they're going to do at that point. Uh, the Tigers have a lot of players, uh, obviously a lot of players locked up in six, 2016. Uh, a good number of those are locked up for 2017, or they at least have team options. I know that uh, Francisco Rodriguez has a team option. Uh, Cameron Mabin, I believe, has one as well. So there are a few players that the Tigers you know, have to make a decision on come next offseason. But then, uh, you know, looking past the 2017 season, they only have five players. Uh, locked into co- under contract at that point. Uh, you know, there are a lot of guys like Nick Castellanos and others that will still be under club control and could be with the organization at that point. But as far as players that are guaranteed money beyond them, there are only five players there. And if Upton opts out, that knocks it down to four. You have uh, Ian Kinsler coming off the books potentially at that point. I believe he has an option for 2018. And while Sanchez is the same thing, uh, Victor Martinez will still be around, but he's done after the 2018 season. Uh, so the Tigers are really kind of taking more of a short-term mentality at this point. Um, there's a a lot of uncertainty going forward with the club. You know, Mike Illich is getting up there in years, and we don't necessarily know who's going to be owning the team by that point. So, you know, you making sure that you're kind of hedging your bets long-term and not uh, tying up too much of the payroll is important. But you also got to see, you know, kind of what is this team going to be doing? in the next two years. Is Miguel Cabrera still going to be healthy? Is Justin Berlander still going to be good? Uh, have they won a World Series by this point? Have they won two World Series by this point? We don't know. Well, uh, yes, obviously they've won at least two World Series by that point. I mean, I'm, I'm counting on them to win it in 2016, probably again in 2017. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. That'd be nice. But to your earlier point, 
it, it's uh, it is funny that these the, all these contracts seem to converge and drop off uh, right around the time that the two big stars Cabrera and Verlander also are nearing the ends of their contracts. It, it does almost kind of feel like um, I hate to use that window speak, you know, the, the closing of the window and they kind of try, trying to build around those two uh, core pieces. But I mean, it, it certainly seems like Alavila is is prepping for kind of a new direction coming in the next couple of years. It's, it's just a very different look from what we are used to seeing. And, and for me, I'm still kind of scratching my head and going, "Wow, didn't I did not expect that? I expected JD Martinez to get a much longer contract. I expected them to want to tie him up for several more years, and that's apparently not you know not the case. So, you know, you talk about how many players are are how much turnover there was from even 2013 until now. And I'm kind of looking at it now and thinking, wow, by 2018, uh, you know, in the off season and when 2018's roster is filled out, it could be a completely different ball club by that point. It really could. Uh, you know, like I said, there are so many players that will, or so many players that are not under contract by that point. Uh, and with the Tigers, you know, seemingly going towards a more, you know, farm friendly, uh, I guess, way of building the roster. They're looking to build through the farm system a little bit more often. I think it's something you need to do in this day and age with, you know, with all the gaudy contracts that free agents are getting now, you really can't afford to buy your team. You have to be able to build your team and then supplement that with, you know, the occasional free agent or two. Uh, and the ti- with the Tigers kind of looking towards that now, I guess they'll just kind of see where they're at at that point. I don't necessarily know you can rebuild the entire farm system in just two years, especially with how empty it was. Uh, you know, at the beginning of last season, I know that Dave Dombrowski helped restock it before he was let go in early August. But still, it's a very kind of bare bones system right now. And they're going to need to have, you know, some of these players going forward that will be able to help the team. So no, it, it's, like it's very it's, interesting. Yeah, the, it's, a, it's a change in philosophy. And that philosophy does very much seem to point towards, you know, Alavila being set on wanting to build up the farm system and, and start to populate that roster from within. And, and we look at, you know, the logic of some of these outfielders coming off the books in a couple of years and looking at some of the outfielders that are coming up through the system and may very well be ready in the next couple of years. Uh, we looked at the logic of putting K-Rod on a, on a two-year basically a two-year contract with the team option because Alavila thinks that he's got one, maybe possibly two really solid closers slash, you know, firemen for the bullpen coming up in the next couple of years. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see that the team for the first time in a very, very long time is now looking more inward and saying, you know, what can we do from within? And, and this emphasis on wanting to implement a development plan, you know, that helps uh, develop the players. So they do come up through the pipeline and can contribute at the big league level. So, yeah, just a, a very interesting – yeah, I'm glad that they have uh, J.D. Martinez locked up for the next couple of years. I, you know, like you, probably you know, think that uh, – I'm not concerned about him, you know, dropping off over the next couple of years. I think he'll be just fine and perform very well. Uh, just still a little bit uh, disoriented, I guess, you know, and saying, wow, weird not to see the big, splashy contract like we've become used to. But that has been the hallmark of the Avila era so far. It definitely has been. Um, you know, I, I there is one other scenario that has kind of been bandy about the site uh, uh, today, and that's that the Tigers, you know, they may look to still extend Martinez at this point, but it, by signing him to this shorter two-year deal right now, that lowers the average annual value of his contract, and it will save them a few dollars because they don't have to pay luxury tax on, like, all the money, like, if you were to get, like, a five-year deal going forward or something like that, they would have to pay more money on that because it raises the annual value 
or the average value of the contract. So I guess it save, maybe saves them a few tax dollars if they still decided to extend them. But at this point, with a two-year deal already signed, you know, what's really the point of giving them an extension? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, you look at it from that angle and say maybe they saved a little bit of money by doing it this way, just because you know he was set to go to arbitration and to get him for, you know, let's say seven million is basically what it is. Seven million in, in 2016 is is not a bad deal. Getting it for 12 million in 2017 could prove to be a great deal, especially if he has another you know close to 40 home run season in in 2016. I feel like he probably could have got more than that in arbitration in 2017. Yeah, I think it'll save them a few dollars. Uh, you know, based on what he was projected to make this year and what the, he could make next year if he continues to really put up some gaudy numbers. Um, I don't necessarily know it's a ton. You know, this is a team with a $200 million payroll, so saving a couple million here and there is nice, but I don't necessarily know that it was entirely necessary. But Yeah, I mean, probably not in the, in the long-term grand scheme of things. You're not like, oh, wow, what a bargain. Uh, you know, but at the same time, again, it's just, it, it's uh, it's very much of the... Um it's it's Al Avila's fingerprints, I guess, to go ahead and, and save a couple of dollars, make some cheaper moves, not cheap totally, but cheaper moves, and and still be able to have some flexibility in the next couple of years when they can decide, uh, you know, come 2018, okay, do we want to lock up J.D. Martinez for a long-term six, seven-year, you know, contract, or, you know, do we want to take a different direction? What's the farm system look by then? So it's just a... I don't know. I, I I read it and think it's it's a very smart move on on the part of Alavila. I definitely think it is. Uh, one other angle that I've really kind of been interested about over the last really couple hours that I've been thinking about with this is that the 2018 free agent free agent class, the um, the the pack of players that's going to be a free agent after the 2018 season. Uh, right now, that looks like a you know just a huge group. You've got guys like Price Harper and Manny Machado. Um, you know, people are already talking about that and teams are already seemingly kind of, you know, allocating their dollars and their resources towards building towards that. And, you know, if you run into a situation where let's say the Yankees or whatever are trying to free up payroll to go sign Bryce Harper after 2018, you know, who's going to be around for JD Martinez in 2017 or Justin Upton in 2017? You know, maybe the, maybe the Tigers are really kind of looking at it like that and trying to get ahead of the curve as far as, you know, signing a guy to a relatively team friendly extension. Uh, again, this is all just kind of speculation on this, but you know, it's, it's crazy it's, speculation, it's, man. You're seriously you're looking out well, to 2018. The, the, the fact that you know other teams are already looking out to 2018 <laughs> I mean, when I, some of these guys could sign. I'm I'm struggling to make sure I get a haircut and a car wash next week, and you're already looking out to 2018 and and what the budget will look like and who's going to be hitting the free agent market. I I wow, it's impressive. I mean, I, like I said, it was just something I was thinking about, but <laughs> I don't know. I still need to go grocery shopping, man. Don't don't act like I'm that prepared and upset. <laughs> like, well, in a couple of years, the uh, you know contracts will look like this, this, and this. And you got you know Bryce Harper, of course, is the big name on that list. Uh, and I, I I'm not even going to daydream about. I'm also looking at his baseball reference page right now, so uh, I've got it in front of me. I'm sure there are websites out there that already have you know lists of the free agents that will be coming available in, in 2018. So if you really want to go out there and do some research. Well, no, I've, I mean, I've read articles about this and I know that our, a couple of our sister sites, Pinstripe Alley and Over the Monster, the Yankees and Red Sox sites, both have already started talking about this and potentially signing Bryce Harper. Um, 
you know, if he continues to get choked by teammates, I don't necessarily know that he's going <laughs> to sign in BC. Uh, and with Scott Boris as his agent, he's definitely not going to sign a, an extension prior to that. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, that could be a, a fun little bidding war to watch from the outside. I don't necessarily know if the Tigers would be in on that, even if they did have a lot of money to, to play with. But it, it'll be fun to watch that. A fun bidding war, yes. A little bidding war, absolutely not. I, I mean, you got a guy like Bryce Harper with Scott Boris as his agent. That is going to be uh, apocalyptic in in its scope, I think. And it, with the way that that these contracts are, you know, the, the value of these contracts is so artificially inflated right now, and they just keep going up and up and up. I can't imagine by 2018 what Bryce Harper could possibly command on on the open market. That that'll be a, a, a That'll be the off season that I crawl into the bunker, I think, and just come out in February and say, just tell me, just tell me what happened, because <laughs> you and I are not playing that free agent prediction game again. I'm just going to buy a lot of popcorn and enjoy the show. There you go. <laughs> a lot of off season speculation in 2018, but we have to get through 2016 first. We have more immediate things uh, to concern ourselves with, so let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this segment. When we come back, we'll go warming in the pen, and we're going to talk about the Tigers' offseason. Let's grade the Tigers' offseason thus far and talk about what's, what else is going on at the AL Central, how the Tigers stack up against that competition now that it seems like most teams are more or less done uh, with their offseason moves and building their rosters. And so we'll deal with all of that when we get back from the break. Here's the 2-2. It's in the fly ball, right field. Deep and down the line, and goal! All right, so let's move directly to our warming in the pen segment. In this segment, we're going to be uh, kind of looking back and reflecting, Rob. Let's let's talk about the Tigers offseason uh, with Justin Upton being signed a couple weeks ago. It really seems like that was kind of the final piece, the final move. I seriously doubt there's going to be anything more, you know, beyond that, outside of things like J.D. Martinez getting a contract extension. And uh, you you might see a couple of little, um, you know, shifts and moves here or there, you know, between now and, the, and uh, especially going through spring training uh, to see, you know, who ends up making the roster and who doesn't, that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it seems like the offseason is pretty well done. It's settled. So let's let's do our best. We'll put the professor hats on and uh, start grading. Uh, how did the Tigers do in the 2015 slash 2016 offseason? Where do you want to start? Uh, like, am I giving them a letter grade or? <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be strictly a letter. You could you could use a decimal system if you want. That's that's oh, fine too. Um, well, that sounds hard. So thumbs I'm going to go thumbs down. I'm I'm going to go with an A. Um, I think that Alavila absolutely killed it this off season. Uh, you know, the Tigers had several needs. Uh, you know, maybe not all of them were his call. I think the Justin Upton deal was, came from above him. Um, but at the same time, he went out and really kind of tackled every single need the Tigers had one by one. Um, you know, maybe they could have used another bullpen arm or something like that. But, you know, he needed a frontline starter. He went out and got one in Zimmerman. He needed a back-end starter. He went out and got one uh, for, you know, a pretty decent price in Mike Pelfrey. He, you know, made some big moves to shore up the bullpen. He helped fix the outfield. He grabbed the guy in Cameron Mabin that, you know, is kind of an interesting piece as well. Um, still not really sure about the Mike Avila signing, but, you know, if that if really if that's the worst thing that we're talking about, then... I think he's done pretty well. Yeah, it's nice to have an offseason more or less complete when you only have really one question mark in the Avila's you know, signing. That, that's, that's just the one thing. It 
sure beats the last couple off seasons where the question marks were why in the hell did they sign Alfredo Simon or why in the hell did they trade Doug Fister? So yeah, I agree. If if Mike Avilas is your your biggest question mark, it's it's been a hell of an off season, and I absolutely agree. A plus uh, with with what Al Avila had to work with in terms of you know a tight budget. Uh, you know, and, and not giving up the farm, uh, literally the farm system in the process. I was just thinking about this today that, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back here. The Tigers are being so severely underrated right now, in my opinion. Everywhere I've looked, whether it's, you know, fan graphs and the way that they're projecting the, the team and their, their win-loss record, or you looked at uh, uh, Royals Review today, you know, with their kind of breakdown of what teams will be the biggest threat to the Kansas City Royals and some of the things they said about the Tigers. You can look all the way to the, you know, Vegas sports books and what they're uh, giving the Tigers in terms of World Series odds. And I'm looking at this and going, of all the teams, I think the Tigers made probably the most moves out of any other team in baseball. When you look at it, you know, three new bullpen arms, two new starting pictures, how many two different outfielders, a backup catcher. I mean, it's like there's almost been a complete 180, you know, in terms of the roster composition. They've all been really solid, I think, strong moves, even if they've been very unsexy, very not flashy moves, very under the radar moves that, that you know, the the folks in Vegas are not going to, you know, start putting money on the Tigers because they didn't sign a David Price. They didn't sign a Zach Greinke, um, you know, or a Jason Hayward or whatever else, you know, there is. But all of these moves, I think, just turned this team into a very, very strong team. And you have to give all that credit, I think, to Alavila with what, you know, considering the limited amount of resources he had to work with and what he accomplished. Holy crap. How, I mean, beat that Dave Dombrowski. Yeah, uh, you know, it is really impressive what he's been able to do. Uh, it would be interesting to see kind of how Dave Dombrowski had fared this offseason compared to Avila. Uh, you know, we saw Dombrowski go out and blow a bunch of prospects on Craig Kimbrell for the Red Sox. You know, the Red Sox definitely have a, a more loaded farm system than the Tigers, but the, you may have seen Dombrowski again kind of do what he did uh, in Boston and, you know, acquire the closer, the one closer. Uh, I believe he grabbed a second bullpen arm in Carson Smith yes, Carson from Smith. the Mariners. Um, but other than that, that was really kind of it. You know, the other guys that they have, they're, they have Koji Uehara, who has been very good, but is also over 40 now and had some arm trouble or some sort of injury last year, I think. Um, you know, a couple other guys that have been okay but not great for them. You know, he only added two arms to a bullpen that by every statistical measure was just as good or even worse than the Tigers was last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and with Avila grabbing three impact arms, Adding it, adding to that, you know, the couple good, the go, couple guys that were good in the bullpen last year in Alex Wilson and Blaine Hardy, and then you, you're looking at a pretty solid pen there. You know, the fact that we're worried about the sixth and seventh guys in the bullpen, I think is, you know, speaks pretty well to what Avila was able to accomplish with those top guys. And even then, you know, you have a potential sixth guy in the bullpen that throws 101 miles an hour. In Bruce Rondon. Rondon, you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, if he if he gets his head on straight, that's still you know a guy with lockdown closer potential, but he's sitting you know kind of at the at the shallow end of the bullpen right now. So strange, isn't it? The guy who was supposed to be the closer in 2013 is is now Mm -hmm. your kind of he's kind of he's kind of an afterthought now. Um, And with the with the roster as a whole, you know, you mentioned the number of moves the Tigers made. I did the math, and there will be. You know, assuming there are no surprises, there will be nine players on the opening day roster that were not with the organization in October. 
And that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. That in October. And if you go back a full year, I mean, you're adding, you know, another guy in Daniel Norris. Yes. Maybe maybe two guys that weren't on the roster at the start of 2015. So in a year's time, you've overhauled nearly half of the roster. And the fact that when we went into this offseason, we said, hey, look, half of the payroll is tied up in like four players. You know, best of luck. When you had that many holes, you had starting rotation holes, you obviously had a bullpen that was in shambles, you had you know an outfield spot to plug, just a lot of work to do and not a lot of cash resources to do it and saying they don't want to give away all these prospects that they just restocked the farm system with. How in the hell is he going to pull all of that off? And not only did he fill those spots, but beyond that, I mean, I, I mentioned three bullpen arms, two starting pitchers, a couple of outfielders. I, didn't, I hadn't even, I forgot, a backup catcher to go with that. And it's just you go. How in the world did you did you pull that off? Uh, but I, I wanted to read real quick this uh, what what Max Reaper from Royals Review wrote about you know the Tigers and and their um, you know I guess their how he rates them as a threat to the Kansas City Royals you know the reigning World Champions. And it was this line, uh, you know, he talks about the starting rotation. Says Zimmerman is a good ro- addition to the rotation, uh, but you know, obviously, the team needs vast improvement from the starting pitching, et cetera, et cetera. But here it is: the big question, as always, is the bullpen. Francisco Rodriguez may be on his last legs, but the Tigers did make some stealthy moves in acquiring relievers Mark Lowe and Justin Wilson. True enough, there is not much depth beyond that, however, and that could prove to be the Tigers' weakness once again. And I, I read that last line, I just went, nope, it, no. No, because people are forgetting that it's so under the radar. You're forgetting Blaine Hardy, Alex Wilson, the you know potential of that 101 mile per hour flamethrower in Bruce Rondon. You're forgetting about the fact that Shane Green might be a guy out of the bullpen. You, you know there there are there's so much more depth to this bullpen above, above and beyond just those front three you know seventh eighth ninth inning guys. It's a it is a completely different bullpen than what we've seen. It definitely is. You know, last year we were looking at guys like Al Albuquerque, who, you know, had a decent season. Um, some other guys at the start of the year. I remember writing a post last uh, last February, January or February, about the number of guys that Dave Zembrowski had acquired. But most of these guys were non-roster invites to spring training or, you know, other kind of retreads from other organizations. And it was, you know, I, I guess I was kind of hopeful that some of these guys would be able to pan out and give the Tigers a solid bullpen or at least something better than they had in the past. And not many of them did. And that really kind of led to their downfall. You know, having uh, Joe Nathan blow out his elbow in the first game of the year, you know, good for good, for better or for worse, you know, losing an arm like that is still a little bit of a detriment. Um, you know, you lose Joaquin Soria at the trade deadline. You use you lose a guy, you know, another guy or two to injury, Bruce Rondon to whatever it was that they lost him to towards the end of the year. And, you know, it really kind of takes a toll on that unit. And I'm I'm pleased with the depth that they have now. I would still like to see them sign another guy if they could. But, you know, I think that's just kind of getting greedy at this point. Yeah, and it, you have to remember that, again, Al Avila has his eye on the farm system and I think is looking very closely at guys like Paul Volcker in, uh, you know, in Toledo and, you know, also has his eyes on the future and a guy like Joe Jimenez working his way up through the system. There's There's more depth there than I think people realize. Uh, and it's simply because, you know, the three big moves that they did make weren't huge splash moves. K-Rod was an okay, you know, would have been a headliner move a couple years ago. But, you know, picking up Mark Lowe is great. Picking up Justin Wilson is great. But that's not going to tip anybody's. That, that is not making the headlines, uh, you know, in the USA Today sports section is, I guess, what I'm getting at. So, um, 
and yeah, when you when you compare it to last year and how the Tigers quote unquote shored up the bullpen by signing Tom Gorzolani, uh, extending a contract to Jabba Chamberlain again, they signed Joel Hanrahan. I don't know if you remember that, but he was another one that they signed in the 2014 offseason. You know, just it's miss, miss, whiff, whiff, you know. So in, in comparison, this has been a raging success as far as the bullpen restock. Let's kind of roll this back here and just kind of go piece by piece. Um, what would you say was their was their best move this offseason? I think the best move has to be the opt-in signing. Um you know, Zimmerman was a great move, and I'm happy with that contract. But, you know, with Upton, it almost kind of comes down to circumstance. You know, everyone says, you know, the Tigers need an outfielder. The Tigers need an outfielder. Everyone knows that this is, you know, still a huge need for them. And they go out and get a guy in Upton on a reasonable deal, uh, you know, with a potential two-year opt-out that they may end up turning into, you know, kind of a short-term deal. And we'll see what happens down the road with that. But he makes such a huge impact in 2016. Uh, without necessarily breaking the bank in the long term. Even if he does stick around, he's only 34 at the end of his contract. So I think that was just a fantastic move for them. It's definitely the one that uh, pushed them over, I think. Pushed them over the line from, hey, maybe they'll contend to, yes, this is a contending team in 2016. As far as I'm concerned, I know some people might agree, uh, disagree with that. Certainly Fangraphs and their projections seems to disagree uh, you know, with with that assessment, I think they're favorites in the AL Central. Uh, but just to be, you know, that guy and be a bit contrarian, I won't pick the obvious, you know, Upton signing or the Zimmerman signing. I'm I'm going to say that their best move was actually the composite move of getting rid of all the crap out of the bullpen and letting uh, Ian Kroll go somewhere else, and letting Natalie Feliz go somewhere else, and getting rid of you know Gorzolani and the rest of these arms that were kind of cluttering up the place and not contributing to say nothing of replacing that just simply letting all that go made the bullpen better building it did yep it it did and this is kind of something that i pointed out at the time uh particularly when the tigers non-tendered albuquerque you know a lot of people were kind of surprised by that you know and pointed at his numbers he had a good you know pretty good season his walk rate went down but you know looking at looking deeper at some of you know his velocity and whatnot uh, you know, he was losing movement on his slider. He was losing a little bit of velocity on his slider, and he was never really able to locate the fastball. Uh, and, you know, when your best pitch is starting to decline, I think it's kind of time to cut bait with a guy, especially when he's getting more expensive uh, going through arbitration for another time. So yeah, I'm kind of happy was... that they cut bait with him at that point and said, you know, thanks, but we'll we'll see you somewhere else. Yeah, he he was definitely a a bubble pitcher. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I would have been fine if they'd kept him. I'm fine with the fact that they, that they let him go. Uh, but just you know, once once all the dust had settled and they had trimmed off all these bad pieces, it was already looking to be a better bullpen. And that's before they started filling those slots with you know K Rod, with Mark Lowe, with Justin Wilson. And when they did all that, so I'll say the the composite move of, uh, and this is just. I don't even know. It's black magic to take what they had in that bullpen and to turn it into what it's going to be in 2016. I'll call that the best move of the offseason. What do you think about was their was their worst move? Well, this is something I wrote for the site today. Um, you know, I said Mike Pelfrey. Hold on. I'm muting you. All right. Go ahead. I said that Mike Pelfrey was the worst move of the offseason. I know a lot of people, yourself included, disagreed with me, although looking at it now, he's losing just by a little bit in the poll that I posted there. Um, The reason I I wasn't too happy with the Pelfrey signing isn't necessarily the first year of this contract. It's the second year. 
Uh, I just don't really understand why they went for a second year like that. Like that when they could have signed a guy of similar skill set, uh, you know, to a one-year deal. I think that they ju- kind of jumped the gun on that contract, and they were, you know, looking to shore up all these things. But I think that this is one move where Avila's aggressiveness got the better of him, uh, you know, and he may, you know, come out and prove me wrong. I know that you've written about what the, you know, the Tigers' improved infield defense could do for a ground ball pitcher like Balfrey. I absolutely hope that he proves me wrong and makes me look, totally stupid and a bunch of people retweet that next off season or whatever. But, um, you know, right now it was still just kind of a, a puzzling move when we looked at it, you know, Pelfrey, he had an injury free season in 2015, but he wasn't all that great during it. And, you know, I, whatever, I'm, I'm still happy that he's around. I definitely think that he adds, you know, some necessary depth, necessary depth for 2016. You know, if he gets pushed out of the rotation this year, it's because other guys are performing well. So it, it definitely made sense for 2016. I'm, I guess I'm just kind of looking towards 2017 with this. I'm going to retweet that. In fact, I, I took that and already wrote my snarky response to it as a retweet, and I scheduled it ahead. It's it's prepared to launch July the 9th of 2016. So it's I've already... I've already locked this thing up, so as, as far as I'm concerned. But I hope he has a 1.00 ERA, but gives up like eight runs on July 8th, <laughs> just to screw things up. Yes. Because you know I will rate him completely by the one game ERA total. That's that's how I tend to rate my players, mm-hmm. starting with ERA, and then if I can even get it down to a one game sample size ERA, absolutely, I will take that over FIP anytime. As far as their worst move, I had a really hard time even coming up with one. The The best I could do, um, you know, I could say things like uh, Cameron Mabin was kind of a head scratcher, not really sure why he got added. See, but at the same time, I think the timing of the Cameron Mabin move makes it not quite as bad. Yeah, you're, you're right. Because, you're right, because like, I, don't know that, I don't know that Avila knew he was signing Upton at that point. Yeah, exactly. So it does, it makes sense. In, re- in hindsight, it's kind of like, what? I'm not sure what they're going to do with him now. Um, you know, play center field, I guess. Apparently he plays a really good center field. But I wouldn't I wouldn't call that their worst move. Um, well, they also got rid of Ian Kroll in that same move. That's so right. That's, you can only complain about it so much. It's already a good move. I'm sorry, <laughs> Ian Kroll. I'm sorry, but man, you sucked. Yeah, go do that somewhere else. Go do your thing in Atlanta. Um, probably I would have to say, cow. I don't know. Signing Mike Avilas, I guess, it would be, you know, the one move that was like, eh, why, why, why even spend the money on on that? I know he's a utility guy. I know you're not going to look for all star numbers out of him, et cetera, et cetera. But still, um, and if it's not that move, then it's definitely the fact that they didn't fire Brad Osmus was their worst move of the off season. The yeah, the Avilas one is really kind of a head scratcher. You know, I was looking at his numbers over the last four seasons, not just in 2015. You know, he had some things going on in 2015 that go far beyond baseball. You know, with his daughter and mm-hmm. and all that. But the last four seasons, he's hitting 246 with a 280 on base percentage. Ooh. It's a 74 OPS plus, which is 26 percent lower than league average. The only yeah. the only tiger the only Tigers player to have an OPS plus lower than 74 last season in like. 40 plate appearances was Dixon Machado. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I mean, just hopefully we won't see a whole lot of Mike Avilas. And that's kind of the reason why I said Pelfrey was more the worst move of the offseason, because Avilas is the 25th guy in the roster. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that he's going to be kind of a marginal player at best. And he's only getting paid $2 million, so we may even see him get cut at some point if he kind of sucks. 
two million though. I, I have to believe there were better utility men options out there. Maybe I don't. I'm not going to get too worked up about it because he is the 25th man on the roster. He may play some late inning, you know, defense or ugh, I, I, I don't know. They could have used Dixon Machado as the 25th man, saved themselves 1.5 million. True enough. True enough. It's it's going to continue to be a head scratcher if he happens to. Uh, you know, have some key plate appearances, and maybe he hits one of those Don Kelly-esque walk-off home runs that nobody sees coming, then he'll have been worth, you know, all of that. But it's it's going to be, a, yeah, that's, I guess, but if that's your worst move, then it's been a good off season. How- I, think that, I think I summed it up the best when I said, the Tigers have had an excellent off season and could return to contention in 2016, but this is the internet and something has to be the worst thing ever. There it is. And so, hashtag worst thing ever. Mike Avilas, I guess, is what I'm going to go with. And even that, I'm not totally sold on it. So uh, tell me about their most underrated move. Well, another one that I wrote for the site earlier this week, I thought that Jared Saltalamacchio was their most underrated move. You know, they get a backup catcher. They improve over Brian Holiday. Uh, you know, Saltalamacchio isn't a great defender, but neither is Holiday. Uh, and he provides so much more offensive upside. Salto Lamacchia does. You know, he's a great left-handed hitter against right-handed pitching. Uh, there's definitely something the Tigers needed, especially with McCann's, you know, kind of crappy numbers against right-handed pitching last year. Um, and so I think that they're really kind of a great, you know, they may not be a strict platoon, but I think that that's, you know, definitely a great one-two punch to have behind the plate. You know, if you're able to squeeze Holiday through waivers at the end of spring training to keep him down in Toledo for another year, that adds a lot of depth to the organization. I think that every team kind of needs three catchers to get through the season. And so having Holiday around still, hopefully, will be good. Um, but getting Salto Lamakia, uh, you know, a guy that's getting paid the league minimum because the Marlins cut him last year and he's still under contract for 2016, you know, they're paying $7.5 million of his $8 million salary. Uh, and so this was, you know, pretty much just Avila selling Salt Lamakia on this being the best place for him to play. Hmm. And so there's mob boss Avila getting the work done <laughs> again. Uh, and I, I just thought that was a fantastic move. I, you know, to, in order for it to be an underrated move, um, you know, I saw I saw the article on the site. I saw the, the voting in the polls and I saw that a lot of people had picked Justin Wilson as the most underrated move. And I thought, who underrated that? Because when that happened, I think pretty much everybody said, awesome great you know i thought to be an underrated move it had to be kind of one of these you know you you don't see the value in it necessarily or you're in the minority you know in that respect so i wouldn't say justin wilson i I think that was a highly rated move underrated i'm gonna go with mike pelfrey because people seem to hate the crap out of this guy and i just i think he is going to surprise everyone uh, not by necessarily having a breakout season or anything like that. I just, I really do believe with a, a guy who pitches 50% ground balls uh, and has suffered with very, very bad infield defense behind him for the last two, three, four years, uh, I think it's going to be a big turnaround. I think we're going to be surprised at how well he performs, at how good he looks, uh, just simply by having Iglesias Kinsler behind him. I, I if I had to pick, you know, the breakout player of the year, that that would be my vote easily. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. You know, I, I just expect kind of a Rick Porcello-esque type performance out of out of him. You're going to have some bad games along the way. I don't think he's going to, you know, put up a sub three ERA by the end of the season or anything like that. But I, I just I don't see the concerns. And I come back to this later because I've harped on fan graphs three, four times already. Uh, and the fact that you know, they're projecting the Tigers to win something like 83, 84 games, less than they did last year, less than the year before. The weird thing is 
they're projecting that the Tigers are going to score more runs per game this year than they did last year. So why are they projecting a, a lower win total? It's it's a very inflated um, runs allowed total that they're projecting for this year. And I think a lot of that has to do with guys like Palfrey, whose ERA looks like crap when he's got Minnesota defense playing behind him. I, I just I think that's going to be a big surprise. I think it's an underrated move, and I'm looking forward to being proven right on that. I'll take it. You, you damn right you will. Which rumor or signing are you happy didn't happen? See, I wrote this question in the show notes, and I never really got a chance to think about it during the day. Um, I guess one of the ones that I'm kind of happy didn't happen, and I know a lot of people are probably going to hate me for this, is Ioannis Cespedes. Uh, you know, he signs that big deal with the Mets. I think he's getting paid, what is it, 26 $27 million a year or something like that. Uh, you know, a fair penny more than what Upton is getting paid. And this is a guy that is, you know, doing it pretty much all with batting average. He doesn't really walk much. His walk rate went down even again last year. Uh, and he had a big, big jump in his power. Um, you know, even compared to what he was doing with the Tigers, you know, he just took off while he was playing for the Mets. And I don't necessarily know how much of that is sustainable. Instead, you know, the Tigers go out and get a guy in Upton who is, you know, he's a little bit more of a well-rounded player. He doesn't necessarily have the arm that Cespedes does in left field, but by all accounts, he's a perfectly boring defender, which means he doesn't really do anything that, you know, well, he's not going to end up on, you know, the sports center, not top 10 or anything like that either. Uh, you know, this is a guy that draws walks, he hits for average, he hits for power. You know, maybe not as high of an average as Cespedes, but he, you know, kind of draws more walks to get his on-base percentage up above what Cespedes usually does. And so I think that was a great signing for them. And, you know, having the opt-out clause in there, uh, I, you know, a lot of people see that as kind of a detriment because it puts a lot of risk on the team. But again, I just, I thought that was a great move. Yeah, in terms of rating, the, the rumor or signing that we're happy did not happen. Cespedes is definitely in my top three, if not my top two. I know a lot of fans were clamoring to get Ioannis back. Um, I certainly loved watching him play in Detroit, but you know, emotional feelings aside, I don't think what he did in 2015 was repeatable. I don't think it's sustainable, and uh, I, I did not want to see the Tigers sink a whole ton of money into that you know, as a, as a contract. Um, but just to be different, and not give the same answer as you, I would have to... Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of them. There, there are a lot of players the Tigers were linked to via rumor early on. You know, they, we heard that they were possibly in on the David Price, you know, bidding war. Um, you know, things like that. I'm glad that they didn't uh, spend huge money on a starting pitcher. But I think if I had to pick one name out of the hat, it would have to be Chris Davis. And I know they were linked oh, to yeah. possibly I about that. signing Chris Davis. And, oh, man. I, I remember writing about that and kind of, you know, half joking, like how fun it would be to see Davis in this lineup because, uh, you sure. know, he's going to hit tons of home runs. But, God, the defense would be so terrible. It would be like 2013 all over again without the strikeouts. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just dingers all day long. But with Chris Davis, the thing is, I don't think he necessarily hits for average as, as much either. So, you know, he might get... 60 hits in a year, but 60 of them will be home runs, which is kind of cool. Uh, but he was going to be commanding, you know, I think too much money as well. And just one of the situations that um, when I heard that the Tigers were possibly in on that, I thought, oh, no, let's not screw up this otherwise awesome offseason by doing something like that. So I'm glad they did not do that. A plus he, is all the way around. He hit for a 260 average last year. That's not too bad. I think that was actually higher than Upton, funny enough. 260, huh? 
Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but he also struck out 208 times. Well, that's the thing. I know he had a really high strikeout rate. I didn't run the actual numbers, but yeah, it's, he's kind of the, uh, he's going to go ahead and complete his transformation into Adam Dunn at some point where that's all he does is just he hit home, hits home runs and he strikes out and that's, that's Chris Davis. And, uh, I, I don't think we need that necessarily on, uh, on the Tigers roster. Thank you. Uh, let's talk then about where the Tigers fit into this, uh, mosaic that is the AL Central. And uh, I, I alluded to it earlier uh, that we were looking at uh, the fan graphs, uh, projected standings. Uh, let me just pull that up real quick so I know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, they're, um, wow, I was wrong. I said 84 wins. No, they're projecting the Tigers to win 82 games. 82 games. And the Indians, uh, they have projected to take the Central with 84 wins. Now, I, I saw these numbers and I kind of laughed because I know no one's ever right about these things ever in the history of anything. They're and always very conservative too. I mean, exactly. Extremely how many teams are projected for how many teams are projected for over 90 wins? Not that many. Um, if any, I don't, I didn't have the full, I was just looking, I was focused mostly on the three. AL central three teams in all of baseball are projected for over 90 wins. Yeah. And that just, I mean, and you know, that's kind of how projections, projection systems work they're working you know they're using running you know so many simulations and they're taking the average of those and always kind of falling back to the mean um, right. you know you only have a couple of teams that are projected for below 70 wins uh the braves and phillies um and then even then you know the the division winner in the nl east the team that the teams that will be playing those two teams the most are only projected for 88 wins so you know it's it is kind of a crapshoot with these but i do think that the the tigers win total is a little bit low here and let's just talk about where these projections were a couple of years ago, because in 2014, before that season, Fangraphs projected the Tigers to win 88 games and take the AL Central. That actually proved to be pretty darn close. I think they won 90 games by the end of that season and did barely uh, clinch the Central. But they had the Indians being, you know, the the runner up with the Royals only winning 82. And as we know, the Royals made it in as a wild card. They made the playoffs. They made it all the way to the World Series uh, in 2015. They had the Tigers projected for 85 wins and winning the AL Central just barely over the Indians again. They they really liked the Indians, I think, probably because of the starting rotation. But here again, they had the Royals projected at 81 wins and 81 losses, a dead 500 team. And we all know what happened. The Royals won over 90 games. So, uh, you know, you look at these projections and go, it's, you know, they're usually... There's always some trick in there where it's just it's off by a lot somewhere. And so when I look at it now and say, okay, they've got the Indians winning the Central at 84 wins. They've got the Tigers coming in second at 82 wins. And they've got the Royals finishing in fourth place with 79 wins. And you just go, uh, I'm not sure how much, um, how much stock I want to put in these, in these projections. So why, why do they like the Indians so much? I guess it has to do with the rotation. Um you know, the the Indians definitely have an excellent starting rotation, you know, with Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, Danny Salazar, you know, some guys like that. But I'm kind of questioning where they're going to score their runs. You know, their mm-hmm. biggest addition this offseason was Mike Napoli. Uh, you know, maybe he comes back and has a decent year for them. But this is a team that struggled to score runs for a good part of last year. Uh, I haven't heard much about the whole Michael Brantley thing. I don't know. Was that ever going to be kind of the thing where he is actually going to gonna be able to play or whatnot. Well, I know that he play, has, but everything that I've you know, read said he's not going to be ready by opening day and may not be ready until the end of May, early June. Yeah, no, and I'm, I haven't found an update on that at all. 
Um, and so, you know, you're taking your best hitter out of that lineup and that outfield is looking rough if he's not in there. So right. it's, it, it's definitely kind of a toss up for them right now. You know, a couple of their big additions, you know, guys like Francisco Lindor through the farm system, uh, Giovanni Urshela is a guy that kind of came on last year. Um, you know, these are guys that aren't really bat first players. I mean, you know, their defense will definitely be better with guys like Lindor and whatnot in the fold, but you're putting a lot on the shoulders of Jason Kipnis, a decent, but not great hitter, you know, Mike Napoli, a guy who's really struggled uh, over the years and isn't getting any younger. Um, Carlos Santana, a guy who hasn't hit for high average very much. Uh, you know, that's just, I don't necessarily see them scoring that many runs and that's going to put a lot more on their pitching staff. And we hear the same thing. It seems like every year, every year, it's you know this is the this is when the Indians are going to really pick it up and they're going to be this you know powerhouse. And every year they they end up. I think the closest they came was 2013. You know when they were kind of a pain in the butt. They were the Tigers' closest competition, and even then, um, I know people love to look back at the standings and say, "Oh, the Tigers only you know <laughs> finished a game ahead of the Indians." But that's after the after they clinched it like a week and a half early. And then, you know, started running out the second string players and just lost a bunch of games at the end. It wasn't really that close of a race. And that was the closest we saw, I think, the Indians come to doing anything. I'm just not seeing this year being the year that they finally break out. Yeah, they have a great starting rotation. But as we know in Detroit, you know, you can have three Cy Young winners and it still, you know, (laughs) doesn't necessarily swing your way. Uh, Of course, let's talk then about the defending World Series champion Royals and uh Boy, the fact that um, this projection, the, the, the Fangraphs has them finishing the season 79 and 83, which is a 487 win percentage. That's a huge drop off. I'm not sure they're going to drop that far. Projection systems haven't. No, I don't think so either. Projection systems have hated the Royals you know, for the last three or four years. Uh, every ever since they kind of came on and have actually been one of the better teams in the division, uh, the projection systems just haven't responded to that. I don't know what it is about their team. You know, maybe it's kind of the fact that they don't really hit for a lot of power. Maybe it's you know kind of the kind of the starting rotation or the fact that they have just this elite bullpen that projection systems don't necessarily gravitate towards. Um, yeah, it seems like the Royals are just kind of better than than their individual parts. Uh, And I still think, you know, if I were to pick a division winner today, I would still pick the Royals. I think that's a great team. You know, they didn't really have a lot of turnover, especially on the offensive side. Uh, That's pretty much the same team that they're running out compared to last season. Um, And, you know, with some of the guys in the rotation, you know, they they lose Johnny Cueto, who was only there for part of the year, but they pick up Ian Kennedy, a guy that might thrive in that situation with that defense in that ballpark. Uh, And then the bullpen, you know, I think they're just, there's some sort of devil magic going on there. So I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I I think I I definitely agree with, you know, what you were saying about the projection systems. They uh, don't tend to like a team that has, well, let me put it this way. The Royals outperformed their uh, Pythagorean expectation last year by quite a bit. Um, and of course that tends to happen when you have a bullpen that's going to win you a lot of one run games. That's, that's how you beat, you know, the expectation of the, of the Pythagorean calculation. And you're right. I don't think that the um, projection systems necessarily pick up on that per se, which could lead to, you know, this, this kind of low end, you know, having the, uh, the Royals only win 79 games. I don't see that happening. I also don't though agree with you in that. I don't, I don't see them being, necessarily the the favorite for the AL Central. Um, they did lose kind of a big piece in Greg Holland. Um, 
you know, and uh, I'm not sure that Joaquim Soria makes up for that loss necessarily. And I also think that, you know, I've said this before, um, what they accomplished in 2015, we talked about the fact that they were just such a high contact hitting team and, you know, somehow managed to get guys on base and then got aggressive with their base running and managed to scrape across runs just enough to get their uh, bullpen out there to stop, you know, the, the opponents from ever getting that lead back. But a high contact team that's relying on, on on that kind of offense, not high powered offense, is also, I think, relying on a lot of luck. It's, it's you know, where the ball lands. And I, I'm not sure that that's a sustainable model going forward. Um, I'll, pu- I'll put it this way. The Tigers were always going to be the Royals' biggest competition in 2015. The AL Central just does not have another team that, you know, could give the Royals a run for their money. And when the Tigers just flamed out with all those injuries, with Verlander not pitching until June, with, you know, Miggy being out on the disabled list and also really not having full power from the start, with Victor Martinez being you know, trying to recover from that surgery and never really be Sanchez green, you know, just injury after injury with the Tigers out of the picture. Of course, the Royals were going to roar ahead and, you know, stomp everybody else in the division. The Tigers are back in 2016. And I think they're absolutely poised to give the Royals a serious run for their money. And I don't, I don't see the Royals winning the division again, but that's, I'm such a Homer, you know what I'm saying? So I definitely see the Tigers being, they, I, I definitely see them being in the mix for that. Um, but and I, I still just think that the Royals are, you know, better than their individual parts. You know, you mentioned that the they have you know such a high contact offense, uh, and I kind of look at this team and I don't necessarily know what has changed that will change. You know how they went about scoring runs, how they went about you know wearing down teams, wearing down starting pitching from last year, and the way that they were able to score runs. I think that. You know, we'll see if it is sustainable. I don't necessarily know that, you know, if you do something over the course of 162 plus games that it's all attributable to luck. Uh, so we'll see what happens going forward. I still think that it's just, you know, a team that's a lot better than people are giving it credit for. Well, you, you know, you could be right. It's uh, they did do it two years in a row with the same approach you know the same kind of offense the same kind of pitching the same great bullpen the same great defense it worked for them in 2014 it worked for them again in 2015 uh you might be right maybe that's not just luck um but at the same time you know especially when you looked at uh you know at the at the postseason and some of the things that they you know the fact that they almost got uh taken out early by the astros the fact uh just, just little little things you know um who what was the play with them when they were playing the mets in the world series and it, it was uh you know, Eric Hosmer trying to score from third and a ground out, you know, and just little things like that, that you went, Oh wow, that really could have gone either way. That could have been a win. That could have been a loss. Yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, I think they were, they were covered in pixie magic dust and it's, it's gone. Oh, I definitely, I definitely think they were during the playoffs, but this is still a team that won what? 95 games during the regular season. Well, last right, year? No, but because the tigers were not there to compete with them and, and they absolutely trounced everybody I else think- in the division. They only went like ten and nine against the Tigers. Yeah, but that, that's normally a team, the Tigers, that is normally beats them like I don't know what thirteen to four in the regular season or something like sure, that. There's a few games there, so we'll we'll see. But um, no, I definitely agree that it'll be kind of the Tigers and Royals at the top of the division. You know, yeah. we'll see what happens with the Indians. Maybe they challenge. You know, maybe they beat up on KC a little bit more and and kind of help balance things up. Moving on to the White Sox, and I think we can probably almost lump the White Sox and Twins together because uh, i don't know i look at those two and i think yeah they're just they're really not there yet you know the white Sox did do some things 
uh, what was the big move? Was was it uh, Todd Frazier, right? Was there? Yeah, Todd Frazier. They also got season. Brett Lowry, which I totally forgot about until I wrote that article. That's right, they did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, I mean, they made a couple of moves, um, but not uh, of the type that make you think, oh yeah, now they're in a position to contend. Not necessarily, but you know, one of the, I guess one of their writers kind of pointed it out to me that. You know, both the Tigers and White Sox are similar in that they have, you know, really good lineups, one through six. Obviously, the Tigers have Miguel Cabrera, um, but both of those teams have very good top of the lineup. But then after that, it's kind of a mystery. And if either team suffers an injury to one of their bigger, you know, one of their bigger stars, they're really kind of in big trouble. Uh, As far as the rotation and bullpen goes, I think the Tigers have the edge in the bullpen, (laughs) as weird as that seems to, (laughs) as weird as that sounds to say. I think they have a deeper. Just, Just say it again. I think the Tigers have the edge in the bullpen. Awesome. Um, because I think they have a deeper bullpen. You know, the, the White Sox have David Robertson as their closer, and he's definitely the best of the group. But after that, they don't have a lot. You know, a guy like Zach Duke kind of regressed to the mean a little bit last year. They have a couple other guys that are, you know, okay, but not great. So we'll see what happens with that. As far as the rotation goes, you know, the White Sox signed Matt Latos today. That could be. It could turn out to be a steal for them, but this is a guy that really kind of fell off last year. Uh, I think there's a reason he only got one year for $3 million on his contract uh, and really didn't have a lot of offers from other teams. Uh, You know, he was looking for a guaranteed spot in the rotation, and the White Sox will definitely be able to give that to him, but they're definitely a thin group. So if they if they lose any of those guys for a certain amount of time or if someone like, you know, Carlos Rodon, maybe he hits a sophomore slump or something like that, they could be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, and they do. I mean, they have something there in the rotation, at least. You know, we've we've talked about that in the past. Rodon's a good one. Quintana, Sale, the, the front part of that rotation is, is fairly decent. But um, I think they're missing kind of that well-rounded, you know, they don't really have a good defensive component. They don't have a great bullpen. Uh, it's it's going to to survive with that pitching rotation, they're going to have to score a ton of runs. And that was their big Achilles heel last year. That's why they finished, you know, near the bottom of the heap because they, they, their offense was horrible. Eventually the Tigers outsucked them in, in the offensive production after the trade deadline. But, you know, for a long time, they were the worst in the division as far as, you know, scoring what, like two and a half runs per game on average or some silly thing like that. The twins on the other hand uh, are all about loading up their lineup with, with, hitters at this point it seems like and that's about all i think that they've really done in the off season they haven't done a lot i know they signed the korean free agent byung-ho park right so we'll see what happens with him i think he's more kind of a first base type first base dh or whatnot um you know you have miguel sano who put up some monster numbers last year uh you have byron buxton who may eventually reach his you know best prospect best prospect in baseball ceiling. Uh, they have, you know, a good farm system with a lot of guys that are should hopefully, or not hopefully, but should be coming through the pipeline uh, relatively soon. And I know that one person I saw kind of compared them to the Astros as far as, you know, a team that maybe could contend a little bit earlier than people expect. You know, they were around for a while last year, but I don't necessarily know how sustainable that performance was. So we'll see what happens with them, but I think that they're still a year or two away from really making some noise. Yeah, I, I don't see it either. Like I said, there's there's some pieces of of what, uh, the Twins, you know, composition that that look nice on paper at least, and uh, and uh, Park is going to be one of those guys. I think they got you know for the dingers, just more dingers, please. Uh, but I, I again, I don't think they have the rounded team 
uh, that that you know has the strength to go through and make a postseason run. Now we we just talked about the AL Central, you know, and how that stacks up. But I, you know, I was just looking again at one of the uh, one of the online sports books, and this to me just it just spells out what kind of an off season the Tigers had. And I, I wrote a post about this probably two months ago when Bovada published their World Series odds, and I talked about you know how how that kind of that whole, that whole system works and how those odds don't necessarily reflect real world odds, real probability of winning, but it does reflect the opinion of the betting public, and that's why you have teams uh, like the Chicago Cubs and the San Francisco Giants that are being given the best odds you know of the World Series, paying like eight to one. That's because those are the teams that made big moves. In the off season, those are the teams that you know are are on the the front page of the USA Today sports section. Meanwhile, the Tigers, who, as I said earlier, did this complete one eighty, and I think made their team just a hundred times stronger, really shorted up, really uh, you know put some depth in you know that that not had that in the past. Uh, I think they're a serious contender for a deep postseason run, and yet when I look at these at these betting sites, the Tigers are still listed at like twenty seven to one odds now. For comparison's sake, the freaking Arizona Diamondbacks started out the offseason at 75 to 1 odds, which tells you just how bad, you know, what a long shot Vegas thinks they are. They signed Zach Greinke and they shot up to like uh, 40 to 1. As of today, I don't remember the exact number. I think they might be something close to 20 or 21 to 1. The betting public is giving the Arizona Diamondbacks better odds of winning the world series in the Detroit Tigers right now, if you can believe that. And that's, I think a hundred percent based on the fact that they signed Zach Grinky. They made a big splashy move. They made headlines and now everybody and their brother in the, in the public thinks, well, I'll, I'll back my opinion with money on this team. The Tigers are flying ev- under everybody's radar right now. And I think it's freaking hilarious because I think they are such a dark horse candidate right now. Y'all are going to be shocked when they end up in the world series in October. Hey, you know what? Diamondbacks, Tigers, let's do it. I mean, I'm not saying the Diamondbacks, because if the Diamondbacks actually make it to the World Series, I'm going to be pissed that I did not put a bet down when they were 75 to 1 odds. So I don't necessarily want to see that happen. You know what? I've said that I think before on the previous podcast, I would love to see Giants-Tigers rematch. Only, of course, if it ends with the Tigers absolutely stomping the hell out of them and sweeping them in four games. I mean, if we're really being selfish here, I want to see Nationals Tigers, so I can okay. plunk down way too much money to go to a game. Yep, yep, I I can see that. I I I feel you on that one. I, okay, but I mean, it, it's seriousness. I mean, I know I can be you know a bit of an optimist, but I don't think I'm a crazy optimist. I mean, come on. Last year, at the at, at the at the end of the off season in 2015, I said this this Tigers team is going to struggle. I had a very realistic outlook, I think, on the team at that point and said I, I, if they win the division, it's going to be, you know, by the skin of their teeth. 2014, I had kind of a similar opinion, said I, I think they'll win the division, but not by much. I don't think I'm crazy to be looking at this team at this point and saying, no, I really think they are a serious contender to at least make it to the World Series. I mean, I haven't felt that way about the Tigers since probably the 2013 offseason. I don't know if I feel that optimistic about it, but I definitely think that they're in the mix. You know, the uh, the American League at this point is just such a crapshoot. Precisely. I mean, is there is there anyone that you would really say is like the odds on favor at this point? No. There are you know seven, eight, nine, ten teams that you you know if you said that they were going to be in the in the World Series in the fall, you wouldn't be that surprised. 
Uh, and even if you look deeper at some of these teams, you know, a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, who, you know, a couple of people have said, you know, maybe that's a dark horse contender. Uh, you know, I wouldn't really be that shocked when you look deeper at their roster and some of the numbers and whatnot that, you know, any really just about anyone from the American League could make it to the World Series. And I wouldn't be that surprised about it. No, I think that's exactly the point that you can uh, you can envision it. You can see it, you know, <laughs> in your head. You can imagine the Tigers actually getting there because... There's just not really, um, there's no real clear, let's put it this way, again, the top two teams by the Vegas odds, as far as the betting public is concerned, are the Cubs and the Giants. The next team to represent the American League, the number three on that list, is the Boston Red Sox. And I, again, that's, I think, strictly because they got Craig Kimbrell and David Price, and all of America went, oh, wow, they're clear favorites. Although I will say this, uh, again, going back to fan graphs, they have the Red Sox winning the AL East with 91 wins, so they must be seeing something there in the, um, you know, the the run prevention that comes with getting a David Price and a Craig Kimbrell. I, I don't know if the Red Sox are really clearly, you know, the odds-on East, well, not even just East, but American League favorite to get into the World Series. But man, having the Tigers that far down the list at 27 to one, give me a break. There's there's no way, there's no way they're they're way closer than that. Yeah, I think so, but. We'll see what happens. I mean, you, you could really peg them anywhere, uh, you, you know, anywhere in the division, one through five, and I don't think that that many people would be surprised by it. I think we would be surprised at this point if they finished in last place again. But a lot of the national media, you know, I don't think would be too shocked, no matter what happens. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I would be surprised. The only way they're going to finish in last place is if they have another horribly injury-riddled season you know if Justin Verlander goes down if Miguel Cabrera goes down if Victor Martinez can't perform up to his you know even average levels uh, if you lose a guy like Justin Upton to some crazy shoulder surgery or something stupid like that that that's always possible but that's possible for any team no one is immune you know from the injury bug and I keep going back to what Kurt Menching said about the Texas Rangers and the fact that they won uh, the American League West and everybody was kind of surprised and you go why it's only people were only surprised because they crapped out in 2014 because of the same reasons they were injured they they couldn't you know they didn't have the players so they they tanked and people forgot about them and then 2015 they came back they got their team back healthy by the middle of the season and lo and behold we shouldn't be surprised that they that they won the division and I don't think we should be surprised when the tigers do the exact same thing but a lot of people will be cuz it's recency bias right you know the tigers tanked so hard and got off everybody's radar. I don't think anyone. And again, going back to what kind of an off season they had, they didn't make the headline moves. So there's nothing really there for anybody to say, oh yeah, there it was. They signed Cespedes. They signed Price. They're going to be in contention again. But uh, all that to say, I'm just, I'm feeling really good about 2016. And my God, do we need baseball to be happening soon? Wrap Victor Martinez in bubble wrap right now. Yeah. And don't let him get on the damn treadmill or any of those other, isn't that what happened? He fell off a treadmill or something? I, I thought I was playing catch. I don't know. Whatever. Guitar hero? Rap, rap him in bubble wrap. <laughs> yes. Him and Miggy. Just both of them bubble wrapped and uh, don't let them out until it's time to... In fact, don't even play in spring training. Just I don't want him getting injured. Period. All right. We have spent so much time on this. Let's wrap up the warming in the pen segment. We'll come back with uh, high and tight. We'll talk a little bit about the Tigers' prospects and who is going to spring training when we get back. Three, two. 
Bring a fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. And welcome back to the High and Tight segment. Uh, after that review of the AL Central and review of the Tigers' offseason, uh, Rob, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the Tigers' prospects that we should be keeping our eyes on uh, going forward in 2016. Of course, that ties nicely in with the subject of who all got spring training invitations, and we'll be able to kind of keep an eye on those players a little bit more closely, at least for the next few weeks. You know, spring training, I just realized this. If I'm not mistaken, the first game is like March fourth or fifth wow we're only looking at like three weeks four weeks and they will be on uh, wxyt on the radio and they will be on fox sports that is so cool anyway sorry a little bit excited there uh a little bit let's talk about the prospects all right well let's go ahead and talk first about kind of the non-roster invites because it's not a very exciting list uh you know you have some of the you have some of the prospects that will be on there, you know, Joe Jimenez, Michael Gerber, your boy, um, uh, and Jacoby Jones and a couple of other guys. But everyone else, you know, I kind of wrote the I wrote the post about it today. It's a really boring list. I had to Google a lot of these guys. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's not you're, you're not going to get uh, much out of this. And I don't think we're going to necessarily see any surprises on the opening day roster. So, you know, I guess we could try to talk about the other guys or we could just kind of skip by him um <laughs> so one guy i'm what's the best sounding name on that list <laughs> uh preston Gume gilmet i don't know it sounds french he sounds like a chef okay uh, i will root I, for I him to make i don't believe that this is a baseball player <laughs> so that's that's fun drake Britton sounds like a character from like a bad teenager show right no i i, I had the same reaction when i looked at this list i was expecting to recognize at least 50% of the names and I didn't and I thought come on I'm not that far removed from I follow the white caps I don't necessarily follow the the sea wolves you know or the flying tigers or whoever but golly who where did these guys come from half the, these aren't baseball players right they these are guys well, they pulled off the street they I mean they, a lot of them are yeah technically guys that they pulled off the street uh they you know they extended invites to a lot of these guys um I think the only name on here outside of the catchers and the prospects is Jason Kryzan, I think is how you pronounce that. He was in the in the Tigers organization last year. Uh played at played at Erie with a quick call up to uh Toledo. Didn't really hit too well in Toledo. Um but all the other guys are actually guys that came out from outside the organization. You know, they played elsewhere in twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, uh mm-hmm. and haven't really fared too well at the major league level. So Seems like they'll mostly be organizational depth if they stick around, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, I, again, I don't even recognize half of these names. I'm not uh, sure that they're all baseball players to begin with, so let's go ahead and talk about there's a guy. The... There's a guy named Rafi Lopez. Come on. No, you're right. You're right. He's a catcher. Rafi Lopez. That, um, that is proof that the catchers are only there to give more, the pitchers more work. Yep, that's that's probably exactly true not going to argue with that but then let's let's talk about the prospects that are actually going to spring training because those guys are way more fun to talk about that's that's where we get so, to get kind of hyped up do you want me to just let you talk about gerber for yeah i mean obviously i i love the fact that gerber is finally getting the attention that 
I, I think he deserved a long time ago. Uh, you know, and some of the the bigger uh, uh, scouting outlets, you know, that are writing about him and saying, "Oh, wow, he, surprise! This guy's you know shooting up through the system and you know top two, top three, or whatever." Um, but you know, I'll still go back and say. As much as I love to watch him play in West Michigan, because he obviously, to me, stood out, you know, as, as a, a very, very talented hitter. Um, if I'm being realistic, as much as I love the guy, I, I think realistically, I put him a little bit ahead of some of the people that said, oh, fourth outfielder. I think that's that's horseshit. He's, he's better than a fourth outfielder. I would still say he's going to be Andy Dirks, but with a better batting average. And I, I would stick by that. I know if Dirks tended to sit around, I don't know, 260, 270 as a batting average, somewhere in there, he went as high as 300 one year. Um, I can see Gerber sustaining something closer to that 285, 290 type hitter who will give you eh, 12 to 15 home runs a year, that kind of thing, while playing a reasonably good uh, defense in the same way that you described Justin Upton's defense as being just kind of boring defense. I, I think that's... Uh, you know, I think that's that's his ceiling, and I think that's what you'll end up seeing. I hope he sticks around long enough to get that far, you know, up the system before they trade him. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. You know, the Tigers definitely seem set on keeping a lot of these guys in the organization, not necessarily trading them off at every chance they get for proven major league talent. So we'll see what kind of player you know Gerber tends you know comes out to be. Um, you know, based on everything I've read, he's has some excellent plate discipline uh, and is a guy that will, you know, hopefully draw plenty of walks as he continues to move up the ladder. He was definitely old for his competition at uh, single A last year, so we may see them, you know, we've heard rumblings that they may push him all the way up to double A to start the year and kind of, you know, throw him in the deep end and see what happens with that. And if he continues to perform well, you know, he may be one of those guys that you're looking at, you know, come 2018 when the Tigers have a lot of decisions to make with Upton and Martinez, like we talked about earlier, you know, maybe he's kind of knocking on the door at that point and the Tigers really only have to fill one hole in free agency. Yeah, I, I could, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, um, but I guess I wouldn't be terribly surprised if by the time we get to 2018 and some of these, you know, contracts fall off and you're looking at what do we do in the outfield i wouldn't be terribly surprised to see gerber playing in left field maybe Kristen stewart taking over center field that kind of thing i mean assuming obviously that they continue to perform well as they move up through the ranks but you're right there there are options in the farm system for the outfield and that could have a lot to do with why these contracts are being structured the way they are with you know maven having a two-year opt-out and upton with a two-year opt-out and that that sort of thing you know speaking of stewart i'm really kind of surprised that he's not on this list uh, this is a guy that hit really well after his debut last year. Um, yeah. And, you know, with inviting Gerber, a guy that was at single-A West Michigan last year, why isn't Stewart necessarily going to be there too? Uh, you know, he'll be in Lakeland, obviously, but in minor league camp. It's just right. kind of interesting to me that they wouldn't they wouldn't bring him along too and give him, you know, a little bit of taste of the action. I think some of that might have to do with what you mentioned, though, that Gerber is kind of old for his class, um, you know, and, and performed like somebody who had a lot more experience than that. I think he played, I have to look back at his numbers. I thought he played in 2014 as well, not at necessarily West Michigan. But, I mean, he's kind of been through. Stewart just fell off the uh, the school bus, basically, is what I'm getting at. Uh, he just got to West Michigan at the middle of the season last year, barely got time to have a cup of coffee with the West Michigan Whitecaps. So I'm not terribly surprised that they didn't rush him right up to the you know, major league spring training camp next year for sure, though, I would think. I think so. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where Stewart ends up, uh, this year. Um, you know, 
Emily Walden, our excellent minor league writer, uh, was kind of thinking more towards West Michigan again uh, to start the year, but I think he's going to be pushed a little bit. You know, good advanced college bats, a guy like Stewart who's faced some great competition in the SEC. Those guys, if they're worth their salt, they really tend to move quickly through the minor leagues. So I think the Tigers may push him. You know, they may send him to Lakeland early on and see if he can't, you know, kind of push his way up to Erie. Um, you know, a lot of scouts have praised uh, both his hit tool as well as his ability to hit for power. Yes. Um, I know that uh, Tigstown, kind of a, a site that really focuses on the tiger, Tigers minor leaguers, they ranked him, I think, as the best hit tool in the farm system and second best power right behind Stephen Moya or one of those guys kind of right in that conversation. Um, you know, he doesn't have as much power as Moya. You know, there aren't many players in baseball that do. But if he's able to, you know, kind of improve his walk rate a little bit, uh, there was something that was kind of a question mark with him coming out of the draft. Uh, that could be, you know, real solid hitter for them. You know, the, the question about him is more so his glove. But if he hits well enough, they'll find a defensive position for him, no problem. Yeah, he is an explosive player. That's the best way I can kind of describe him. Um, he spent the first half of the season in, in low, a short season, um, and then came up to West Michigan, you know, kind of halfway through. So he's only had that half season at, at single A. Uh, and, and, you know, coming so highly touted, I was uh, very eager to see him play and watched him play for probably 10 to 12 games. And that was the one thing that just kind of stood out is, man, he is just, he's explosive. And, yeah, he's got a ton of power. Uh, his hitting is exactly what you said. He he struck me as a player that, um, you know, very, think think you on a Cespedes. You know, when he, when he gets a hold of it, it, there's power. He also swings at too much junk and doesn't take enough walks. So, you know, I'm, I've heard that that's a tool that you can't necessarily, you know, play discipline. You either have it or you don't. It doesn't necessarily, you know, develop. Um, but maybe he can get a little bit better at uh, laying off some of the garbage pitches. And if he does, then, you know, watch out. Yeah, his defense was the same thing. He's just, he's so damn explosive. He overran so many balls that I saw, you know, should have been routine fly balls, but he just, he went after it too hard, you know, ended up having to dive, that kind of thing. I thought, man, if you would just kind of slow down and let the game, you know, come to you, as they say, you might not overshoot so much with both the hitting and the fielding, but... Again, he only played half the season, so give the guy some time. I would expect to see him play at least another half season at, at West Michigan, and then maybe by June get you know pushed up to, uh, I guess it would be Lakeland after that. I never get the order right. Uh, yeah, it would be Lakeland after that. Okay. So, yeah, that, that'd be my, my take on on uh, Kristen Stewart. Uh, but interestingly enough, as we're sitting here talking about how, you know, yes, yeah, Stewart needed more time at, at West Michigan. That's why he's not going to uh, spring training with the Tigers. Joe Jimenez is. So what do you make out of that? I mean, he's only, what, 16 at this point? I mean, maybe he's 19. He'll be turning 19, I think. It's definitely an interesting, you know, invite for them. Uh, you know, it may just be something where they're trying to get a close look at him. Uh, this is a guy that they may start to push a little bit more this year. You know, a lot of people wondered last year why Jimenez wasn't moving up despite having some spectacular numbers. And a lot of that, from what we heard, has to do with a little bit with maturity, a little bit with fastball command, uh, you know, kind of 50-50 on both. Uh, if he's able to, you know, hopefully hone both of those this year, we may see him shoot up through the system. I don't necessarily know if that means he's in line for any major league time in 2016, uh, but he could be a guy that you, you know, start to look towards toward 2017. 
This is a guy that had, you know, some serious talent. He went undrafted, I believe, because of some, you know, just like really, really high salary demands. Um, but this is a guy that they were talking about, you know, within going within the first five or ten rounds. So he has some serious talent. And, you know, we saw that with how much he just overpowered hitters at the single-A level. So we'll see how quick they decide to push him. But this is a guy who has, you know, the future closer potential and may end up, you know, kind of showing that this year, depending on what happens. I think it's a good sign that he gets the that he got the invite to spring training. As you know, as you said, um, I think they want a closer look. I think he is the one of the guys that Alavila had in mind when he said several months ago, I, we think we might have two good closers already in the system. I think Jimenez is one of the two he was thinking of. Not at all surprised to see that they would want to bring him up for a closer look. And no, I don't expect him to see. I don't expect to see him pushing. You know, Detroit in 2016. He's got you know quite a bit of work to do. I think on his his slider, especially the changeup and maybe some control issues. The fastball is just fine. That that thing actually catches fire sometimes when it's coming into the plate. But it's a wild fastball at times too. He's able to get away with that right now because you know hitters are inexperienced and they swing it you know, the high heat a lot, but I think as he moves up, he'll find that he's got to get better with the control. I would tag him for 2017, uh, maybe 2018, if he still hasn't quite put it together by next year. Uh, a couple of these other names that made the that made the list were a little bit surprising to me. Z- uh, uh, Piccicello, Dominic Piccicello. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy that, you know, kind of performed well last year. The Tigers sent him to the Arizona Fall League, where he really struggled a little bit. Uh, and we've heard kind of mixed reviews on him as far as um, both his approach at the plate as well as just kind of how coachable he is. We haven't heard great things, I guess, to kind of put it nicely with that. Um, so we'll see what kind of, you know, how he does. Maybe the Tigers are bringing him up to see how he does with, you know, the major league staff and, and whatnot and how he responds to being around some of the major league guys there. Um, this is a guy that, you know, doesn't necessarily have a defensive home right now. Uh, he's a first baseman by trade and people aren't sure how well he would move how well he would do with moving to another position um but obviously the tigers have a first baseman for a little while so they're not going to necessarily need ficacello's services uh, in the near future and you know maybe they're trying to showcase him for a trade if they can get you know something else moving you know closer towards opening day so we'll we'll see what happens with him i thought that was an i thought that was an interesting one to say the least but uh, i'm interested to see you know just kind of get a to I'm interested to get a look at him and see what he looks like at the plate. And as I said earlier, we will get a chance to do that because starting, uh, you know, in about three and a half, four weeks, uh, these, these games are going to be on Fox sports and uh, Fox sports, Detroit. Uh, so we are going to get a chance to get an up close and personal look at these guys. And, um, the the one uh, name on the list that we I think we got to talk about uh, that probably no one should be surprised to see is Jacoby Jones. Now he is still having to serve uh, some part of a suspension. He was given that fifty game suspension for failing a drug test. I think he's got something like what thirty two games left on it. Uh, but he is able to go to spring training and participate in those activities. So he's on the list as well. What do you want to see out of him? At bats. I want to see, I just want to see him at the plate, see how he does. This is a guy that has, you know, kind of a really, uh, really interesting power speed combo. Uh, Scouts have said, you know, he's just an incredible athlete uh, who maybe necessarily hasn't, you know, kind of honed the baseball skills part of that. Um, But if he's a guy, he's a guy that if he puts it all together, look out. So it'll be interesting to see just kind of, you know, how he performs. Uh, spring training is our first chance to get a look at a lot of these younger guys oftentimes, and I'm, I'm interested to see how he does. 
this is a guy that will probably be at AA for most of the year in 2016. You know, maybe if he hits well, he moves up to AAA. But he only spent about half the year at AA last year. Uh, performed pretty well, but we'll we'll see. He's still fairly young. I think he's only like 23. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with him. But I'm hoping that you know the things. Yeah, I'm hoping that there's a tra- smooth transition um, from him. You know, having to serve that suspension, he doesn't necessarily kind of get off to a cold start after that's over. You know, it's just as we're sitting here talking about this, I'm finding that it's it's really exciting. You know, that I don't remember in the last couple of years being able to have these kinds of conversations and talk about, you know, exciting young prospects like a Jacoby Jones, like a Michael Gerber, like a Joe Jimenez or some of these other names that we've kind of thrown. Michael Fulmer, obviously, on that list. Um, you know, and yet here we are, you know, saying, wow, in the next couple of years, there could be some real excitement going on come 2017, 2018. Certainly by 2019, some of these names will have, you know, either ascended to the major league levels or or, or been traded off for somebody else. But uh, it seems like, boy, there's there's sure a long line of prospects at this point that we're all kind of excited, looking forward to seeing them play. And um, golly, 20, I just, I can't get over the fact that 2018 is going to be by the time we get there, it's they're just going to be. Uh, that's going to be when all these guys kind of hit. I think at once you're going to see. I think by that point, Joe Jimenez, Michael Gerber, Kristen Stewart, certainly before then, probably Michael Fulmer, Jacoby Jones. They're all going to come right around that same time. It's it's a it's a the future is bright. Is is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. You have and you also have you know potentially the number nine pick in the draft this year. Mm-hmm. You know if he's a if he's a college player, he could move right. up you know fairly quickly through the system and be around at that point. Uh, you also have a guy who haven't we haven't talked about yet, Bo Burrows, the Tigers' first round pick this year. Yes. Um, he's going to be an interesting one to watch, and I think that you're going to get a chance to see him quite a bit. I was looking back, uh, you know, at the Tigers, you know, kind of the Tigers' first round picks over the last several years, really going back the last decade or so, and that that's a sad um, list. And that, yeah, for that, for one, um, but also in that looking at a lot of these guys, you know, whether they were drafted out of high school like Burroughs was or out of college, the Tigers were very aggressive with their top picks. You know, guys out of high school, Derek Hill, Jacob Turner, Rick Porcello were moved up to uh, to uh, moved up to single A West Michigan, if not further, like Porcello, I think, started out at Lakeland. Um, you know, as quickly as possible to really kind of see what they were made of. And I think that we'll see that out of Burroughs this year. I think he's going to start the year at West Michigan, and I'm interested to see how he performs and how he handles that. He's going to be, I think he's only like 19 years old, so he's still going to be one of the youngest guys in the league uh, at that point. But, you know, if he he has a fairly advanced arsenal for his age, we've heard good things about his changeup, which is a very tough pitch for a lot of young pitchers to master. Um, and so if he can handle things there, you know, look out, he may kind of move fairly quickly through the system as well. He's a guy with mid rotation potential, kind of like Fulmer. He's a little bit, you know, a ways away from the major leagues right now, but this is a guy that has also kind of been a borderline top 100 prospect already. I believe he was on, was it scouts top 100 list, Hmm. uh, despite just being drafted last year. And I think that if he has a big year, he's going to be on everyone's next year. Yeah, that's one of those names that I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing him perform in West Michigan. I'm, I'm assuming, like you, that he's going to start out the year here after, you know, playing a level below that uh, last year. And, you know, I'd almost forgotten about Derek Hill. Uh, he he was at West Michigan last year, but he spent a lot of the time injured. Uh, so he didn't he's, really get, you know, much And he's probably going to be there again this year. Exactly. I, I think the Tigers will hold him back after just missing so much time last oh, year. Should. I, I don't even think he played a game after like July 4th or something like that. Yeah. So, right. 
Um, you I think we'll see him start the year there. You know, maybe this is the year he kind of puts things together and starts to hit for a little bit more, a little bit more average, a little bit more power. You know, he was still very young for that level last year. So I'm interested yeah. to see what he has. And I think a lot of people have written him off so far and it's far, far, far too early for a guy like that. No, absolutely it is. And I'm you know, probably one of those ones that has maybe sounded like I've written him off. I haven't written him off. I just, I, I tend to want to put the brakes on people and get excited about, you know, Derek Hill and go, oh, yeah, that's top prospect. I go, well, hold on. We haven't even seen him at the single A level for any, you know, sustained amount of time. But uh, I think 2016 will be the year that he gets a real shot to, if he can stay healthy, you know, if he can't stay healthy, then we've got a bigger, a bigger issue. But uh, uh, certainly his defense and his speed were the two most exciting things to watch. That guy can fly down the line. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that was on top 100 prospect list yes. last year before he got injured. So, you know, if he has a big year, he'll start to shoot up those again next year. And you could have, heck, you could have potentially three Tigers on the top 100 prospect lists. Has that ever happened before? <laughs> Stranger things have happened, I guess. Well, and, and I guess that kind of depends on what happens with Michael Fulmer, their, right. uh, their top prospect. You know, this is a guy that's knocking on the major league level. He had an outstanding year at AA last year. I think he was the, the Eastern League Pitcher of the Year. Um, if I remember that correctly, um, or was it the minor league pitcher of the year? I, I can't remember. It was, I don't know, whatever. He had an absolutely fantastic year. Um, he's a guy that's dealt with injury, uh, injuries throughout his minor league career. He's had, you know, kind of everything under the sun as far as that goes. But, you know, if he stays healthy, he could be knocking on the door, uh, this year, especially if the Tigers are are contending late in the year, they may call him up and use him, you know, either out of the bullpen or other rotation. Uh, you know, they may use him out of the bullpen as a way to kind of manage his innings. He's only thrown, he only threw like 110, 120 innings last year uh, and won't be in line for a huge jump in 2016. So, you know, the Tigers may do, you know, this is something that I've touched on before. They may do something similar like what the Atlanta Braves did with Chris Medlin a number of years ago. And, you know, maybe start him out in the bullpen and then move him to the rotation or vice versa as a way to, you know, help have him at the major league level and still limit his innings. Prospects, prospects and prospects. It's, it's, it's a cool thing to be able to talk about. it. It's a cool thing to be able to look forward to the next couple of years and see some of these names and uh, the talent and how it develops and where they end up. Uh, just, uh, yeah, it's nice to be in this situation for once uh, to tie all this Together, before we wrap up this segment, um, I wanted to kind of share too that a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks back, uh, when the West Michigan Whitecaps had their winter banquet uh, as part of the you know Tigers caravan, and the the tour bus showed up you know at the at the banquet venue, and uh, we got I got a chance uh, myself, Emily, and Comerica Eric, uh, I got a chance to be part of the media event prior to that, and got to talk with some of the players and coaches and so forth, and I did get a chance to talk to Nick Castellanos. Um, about this whole issue of Alavila wanting to implement the Tigers way, this idea of needing uh, uniformity of coaching and discipline and, and um, teaching at all levels, you know, so that you have a player coming in at single A getting the same kind of instruction than at double A and at triple A and all the way up. And I, Nick, of course, is the guy who, that I, you know, thought of as, hey, he came into the system uh, you know, via West Michigan. He played with the Whitecaps. Uh, he went all the way up through, you know, the to Detroit, you know, through their farm system. And so I, you know, wanted to talk to him about that and, and just get his, you know, opinion on that and said, this is what they're trying to do. This is what Alavila wants to accomplish. How important do you think that is? 
you know, that, that you have this kind of uniform approach. And you should have seen, Robert, that the way his, his eyes lit up, you know, at that question, his eyebrows shot up and he said, oh, it is so important. And he did kind of affirm that, you know, he said there, there's a lot of different, um, to you speaking specifically of hitting, you know, and hitting coaching at the different levels. And he said, boy, there's a lot of guys out there with a lot of different philosophies. And I know he didn't want to come right out and say, you know, yeah, they're they're giving me conflicting, you know, information or advice or whatever. But he did say there's a lot of different philosophies and you can learn a lot of things from the different philosophies. But there does need to be, you know, kind of a uniform approach. So I thought that was it was interesting that uh, he he definitely just again, just it was more the expression on his face more than anything that he actually said that said to me, yeah, he, he gets it. He sees that there has been this, you know this bit of a, a problem, a, a gap. So I, I'm really excited that they're doing that. I'm really excited that they're focusing so much more on player development. And as we talk about all these cool prospects in the system, it doesn't just feel safe at that point to kind of go, not only are they there in the pipeline and probably aren't going to get traded, but they're also probably going to be getting much better coaching and development all the way through. It's definitely encouraging uh, to hear stuff like that. You know, not only that they're developing the Tigers way, um, we still need to get our hands on that book. Yes, we do. By the way, we need to, we need to figure out something for that. Um, but just to, I guess, to kind of hear Castellanos confirm, you know, that the that they did kind of have some conflicting, you know, some conflicting instruction along the way, and that's not necessarily anything malicious that these coaches are doing. You know, they just all have their their own styles. But to really no, kind of no. streamline the process a little bit, I think, is going to help them go along. I mean, you see, you know, the Cardinals are kind of the ones famous for having the Cardinal way and what have you. And, you know, people laugh about it, but at the same time, this is a team that has just churned out prospect after prospect after prospect. And these guys aren't, you know, the top 100 guys, top 10 prospects or whatnot. These are guys that just kind of come out of nowhere, but they're all doing, you know, things very well at the major league level. And I think that's a reason why the Cardinals have been so damn good and so damn consistent for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. So if the Tigers can do that, you know, that'll be great. Um, one thing that I'm, you know, kind of interested in, and I've kind of been following a little bit, is uh, the international signings. Uh, I know that Patrick O'Kennedy wrote a post about that today, about how the Tigers could really make a splash um, in the international market. You know, there are a few uh, Cubans, uh, you know, kind of high-profile guys that have defected off the island recently. And, you know, Patrick says, you know, it'd be cool to get one of those guys. But these are guys that are going to get, you know, kind of the real gaudy bonuses. Um but the Patrick also pointed out in that post that there are a lot of teams that are you know facing penalties for oversigning on guys in past years, hmm. um, and that you basically have a third of baseball that could be out of the running for this next free agent class starting on July second, twenty sixteen, uh, a class that is reportedly supposed to be pretty good. And so the Tigers could kind of, you know, if they decide to blow past their bonus pool limit and incur some of those penalties going forward, uh, you know, that you could see them in this next year sign a lot of the top guys and really kind of restock their farm system in one fell swoop. You know, you'll have the international bonus penalties going forward, but, you know, if you can restock your guys with, a, you know, two or three years worth of prospects in one year, then not only are you kind of expediting your potential rebuilding or reloading or whatever you want to call it in the future, you also don't necessarily need to worry about, you know, not having these penalties. Penalties that the Tigers don't necessarily need to worry about so much because they've kind of self-imposed some of them right. at some points. Not necessarily like intentionally, but as far as any penalty goes. But they've been able to sign guys for, you know, relatively cheap uh, and do some decent things in their farm system with those guys, uh, especially, you know, if some of these guys 
that will be coming to the United States in the near future, um, you know, they, they've already been able to do some nice things with that. So I don't think the penalties will affect them as much as they would other teams. Yeah, so I, it's just a. Uh, I'm still kind of in shock. You know, it's been months, and we've, we've known this and, and seen it kind of unfolding. But th- this organization is so much more focused now. On you know, they, they beefed up their scouting department. They beefed up the analytics to I think get better at, at doing some of the scouting too. Uh, you know, wanting to implement this Tiger's way, you know, across all the systems, and not wanting to let go of the of the prospects that they have uh, in this off season. And they didn't. They kept the guys they wanted to keep. Uh, just the next couple of years are going to be very very exciting. I think a whole new philosophy than what we've gotten used to over the last whatever it was that Dombrowski was there fourteen years, I guess. Uh, you know, that we got used to that style of just trade, 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 you know, bad drafts and that kind of thing. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be cool. So that should probably just about do it for our high and tight segment. We'll take a quick break, come back to end of the mob scene at home and take some listener questions. The overreaching question being, now what? And we'll talk about that when we get back. Swing the fly ball left field. Deep going back. Cabrera looking up and it's gone. A home run. James McCann with the walk-off winner. Number three. Rounding third. Exchanges the low ten with Dave Clark. And into the mob scene at home. All right, let's get into the mob scene at home. This portion of the show where we like to take listeners' questions. Of course, you can uh, send us your questions. We've been uh, taking them via the website uh, as of late, uh, just putting up a questions post and then taking questions in the comments but you can also reach us uh on gmail at, at uh, bybtigers at gmail.com and also on twitter at hookslidebyb or at byb rob any way you want to get a hold of us that's fine with us uh so let's get to the questions jaja bojangles asks what will happen with all the tigers surplus outfielders did they trade anyone and boy they do have a lot of outfielders now when we were looking at you know what was it tyler collins and cameron maven being the uh platoon split up here and then they sign Upton, you know, so Collins goes back to the minor leagues. Well, they've just got kind of a lot of outfielders to deal with. They do, but like you said, Collins can go to the minor leagues. I think he still has at least one more option available. Um, so they're able to, you know, shuttle him between Detroit and Toledo all in next season, no problem. Um, you know, we'll see what happens after that. But as far as this year goes, yeah, I think it'll be Collins going to the minor leagues. Uh, you know, maybe if something screwy happens, he sees some times at the sees some time at the majors. But I think that you know, kind of like we I had touched on on the site before. Uh, you know, Collins kind of got <laughs> kind of got teased by this offseason. You yeah. know, he thought he's going to have a chance to compete for a job, and then boom, they signed Justin Upton, and well, shit, I'm going back to the minor leagues. Right. I mean, there's really no reason to keep him around at the major league level at that point. You already have four outfielders in. James I mean, Martinez. he would be he would be a decent guy to have off the bench. You know, uh, yeah. if you had to decide, you know, between him and Mike Avilas, I guess I'd side <laughs> with Collins because he provides something. Right. Um, but. You know, I, d- I don't necessarily see that happening, especially not at the beginning of the year. So, no, and when you, we were just talking in the previous segment about, you know, prospects and what's coming up through the minor league system. And man, there is, there, there's going to be a surplus of outfielders here in the next couple of years, um, which, you know, again, makes it, I guess, you know, all the more important, I guess, you know, to look at things like why they signed JD Martinez to a two year extension and not a five year extension. You've got four outfielders now. 
a fifth in Tyler Collins. And you're not even talking about guys like Stephen Moya, who they got a fish or cut bait on that at some point. Winton Bernard coming up through. We just talked about, you know, Kristen Stewart. You got Derek Hill down at the, you know, single A level. It's, it's going to get to be a very crowded place uh, fairly soon. So maybe that helps shed some light on what's going on with these shorter contracts. It's a good problem to have. It's an absolutely great Depth is never a, a bad thing. Jacob Elkrum says, now that Al Avila has fixed the outfield, what's next, if anything? I've said that I would like to see them sign another bullpen arm. Uh, you know, a guy I brought up was Tyler Clippard, but then he goes and signs like a $13 million deal, like two years, $13 million, so like $6, 7000000 million a year with the Diamondbacks. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, never mind on that. I don't didn't necessarily want to pay him that much money. Um, a guy that a lot of other people have kind of liked is Matt Thornton. He's a Michigan native, which always helps, um, and a left-handed, left-handed reliever uh, who's had some decent numbers against lefties. Um, not necessarily saying I want to have a guy like that, uh, especially because I think that'll lead Brad Osmus to really kind of lugify him <laughs> and only use him against left-handed hitters. Um, so I don't know. Uh, one other guy that I really... I'm kind of interested in is Tommy Hunter. Uh, this is a guy that I was looking at, you know, back earlier in the offseason. I kind of grouped him in with guys like Mark Lowe and Ryan Madsen hmm. uh, as a guy that who could potentially be, you know, a seventh or eighth inning guy for the Tigers. Uh, you know, the Tigers went out and got Lowe, which is great. Uh, but then I think they still have Hunter sitting out there. And if you can get him on maybe a cheap one-year deal, that's another guy to add to the bullpen. He's been fantastic ever since he moved to the bullpen full-time. Um, you know, he tends to be homer prone every once in a while but overall has put up some great numbers so i think that that would be a, a decent signing for them i'm not going to complain if they sign another bullpen arm it's not an area that i think has to necessarily be addressed there's again there's more depth there than i think even we fans have have even realized um just beyond the the, the big three at the top you know k rodden low and wilson and then we talked about alex wilson being in there and you know, blaine hardy being a reliable arm you talk about possibly Bruce Rondon being in the mix. I haven't given up completely on Rondon yet. Uh, but you know, you know, we've talked about uh, Shane Green maybe pitching out of the bullpen, Drew Verhagen being an option out of the bullpen. We haven't even touched on some of the other guys at the AAA level, you know, possibly coming up in, uh, you know, what are they going to do with uh, a Matt Boyd? You know, is he just going to be a starter or is he going to potentially be someone they could use out of the pen, kind of break him into the major league level? Same thing would go for, you know, say a Michael Fulmer. We uh, already talked about, I think I said Paul Volcker being down there. There's just a lot of, I think, a lot of options still in the bullpen. So in answer to the question, Jacob, what's next? If anything, what's next is baseball, damn it. And uh, let's let's do this thing, okay? And uh, <laughs> the next question comes from not even trying that name. <laughs> okay. I I don't know. I I felt bad for trying to put it in there. And I also didn't want to have to, like, copy and paste it. So All right, then. The uh, the anonymous question then is, what are your thoughts on putting a major or minor league team in Cuba? I think it'd be interesting. Uh, you know, the you know, the kind of U.S. Cuban relations have been softening, I guess, as of late. Uh, major League Baseball seems to kind of be pushing uh, pushing the envelope as well. I know that Miguel Cabrera and some other players went on. I believe they called it a goodwill tour to Cuba earlier this year. Uh, former Tiger Brian Pena was on uh, part of that group as well. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to have a team there. I mean, you could easily move someone like Tampa Bay to Cuba. You know, it's, you know, adds what, half an hour to that flight or something like that. I mean, Cuba is so close to, you know, South, Southern Florida. Um, and so I don't necessarily think it would be, 
you know, a detriment as far as travel or anything goes. I mean, yeah, you got to go through customs and whatnot, but if things, you know, kind of break well as far as U.S.-Cuban relations go and, you know, the whole political side of that, uh, I think it'd be great for the game. You know, Cuba is obviously a very, um, you know, it's a baseball-rich country as far as, uh, you know, their passion for the game and the amount of talent that that small country produces uh, is incredible. So, I, I don't necessarily see a huge downside to it. Uh, you know, if they start expanding all over, you know, Central and Latin America, that may kind of prove problematic at some point. I know that there have also been, you know, small outcries for a team in Mexico City, which if you think balls fly in Coors Field, good Lord, that would be that would be fun to watch. Um, but I think I think Cuba would be, you know, kind of a good little a good little icebreaker for that. Uh, yeah. What would, the question is? What are your thoughts? And uh, the answer to that is uh, again, I, I'm having a hard time just making sure that I get my car washed and haircut next week. Uh, let alone keeping up with what's gone on in Major League Baseball this off season. Let alone what is happening internationally. Uh, so I guess my thoughts are just they're flatlined. I really don't have any. Sorry, that's just being honest. There, I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to. Uh, putting a major minor league team in Cuba. I, I want to see the Tigers increase their scouting presence in, in Cuba and in, also in other places, um, but that's that's about as much as I've really thought about it. Aurelio Fan uh, wants to know, on a scale from 1 to 10, how excited are you about the Tigers' chances in 2016? About their chances, I will say an 8. I'm still, you know, a little, I, I guess, cautiously optimistic about, you know, how good they're going to be. I think they're still... You know, signs of concern, you know, this isn't the, exactly the the deepest team. I know we've touched on the bullpen step and the starting rotation step, but with that lineup, you know, if you lose someone for an you know, extended period of time, that definitely kind of thins out thins out the rest of the batting order. So we'll, we'll see with that. Um, but as far as how excited I am about actual baseball happening, we'd have to go to like 15 or 20. Well, I mean that's good. You're you're up to an eight from I think the last time I asked you that question, you were at a seven, maybe a six uh, as far as the Tigers' chances. So it seems like you've you're getting closer to ten as we. Well, was that to, was that before or after the Upton signing? You know, I think it was probably before. So Upton was worth a one point move on the scale. I guess that that's the okay. value of Upton. Uh, for me, it's yeah, I've talked about it all all this show. I'm terribly excited. I cannot wait for this to start. Uh, not just because it's baseball and I miss baseball and you know, damn it, where are you baseball? But because I'm truly excited to see what this team uh, can do on the field. And it's just been such a major turnover in the roster. It's it's like having a brand new team, except you still got the cool core that's out there. You know, Kinsler and and Miggy and, and the Martinez brothers and so forth. Uh, I'm extremely excited on a scale of one to ten. What do I think their chances? I'm still pushing nine and a half, if not ten. I, I, I will not be at all surprised when they are in the World Series uh, in October. Of course, the playoffs are a crapshoot. So after you know, after you win the division, it's who knows. But I, I like their chances this year a lot. Uh, Craig Kirkendall on Twitter at Willie Chuck Jr. says, if Calvin Johnson became a Tiger, what position would he play? What? Okay. I thought he could be a pretty decent outfielder. You know, this is a question I answered in uh, the mailbag post last weekend. Uh, and I was lucky enough to find a, a video of him hitting a home run and batting practice at Comerica Park. No kidding. So, you know, if he's a, he'd be a very rangy center fielder. Um, you know, I don't think he'd have any, any problems out there, uh, you know, as far as making contact and whatnot, we'll see what happens. 
Uh, I know that Michael Jordan, when he transitioned from basketball to baseball, had quite a bit of quite a bit of trouble with that, especially with a guy like Calvin Johnson. He's what six five, six six. Uh, it's a pretty big strike zone. Yeah, that's true. That's so. That's, I'm, when I read this question, I had to think the same thing. I'm like, okay, the guy's like you know six eleven and has a you know seventy foot vertical jump. You, obviously, you put him in the outfield. That's he's fast, you know. So yeah, you want this nice tall guy that can rob home runs. The only other thing is he's a big dude. He's a football player, and so I might employ him kind of on the sidelines for any time Brad Osmus goes out to make a stupid pitching t- change, and then Johnson runs out and just blitzes him, tackles him before he even gets to the chalk line. That's exactly how I would play. Calvin Johnson on the Tigers. Did he officially retire? Did we know that yet? I don't think it's official yet, but it just sounds all like was... signs are pointing towards it. So See, there's, there you go. Detroit teams, man, swirling the drain for some reason. Oh, let's hope the Tigers uh, turn that around in 2016. Andrew Oom, at Andrew Oom on Twitter, says, which player will be the scapegoat this year, and who is the unreasonable and indefensible fan favorite? Hmm. This is another one that I've already answered on the site. I said that the scapegoat is going to be Nick Castellanos, especially if he doesn't get off to a hot start uh, at the plate. Uh, you know, this is a guy who fans have really kind of been propped up to, you know, they, they've been pumped up for him for the last few years. You know, a guy who is a top 100, top 100 prospect in his own right um, and was, you know, really kind of billed as, you know, the, the, the great, white hope i guess to, to put it bluntly hmm. um as far as what the tigers could expect going forward a guy that would kind of help bridge the gap between you know the current regime and, and them contending in the future and he hasn't necessarily hit that yet you know he's had a rough go of things at the plate so we'll see what happens with him but i think that the fans are really gonna get on his case if he doesn't start hitting this year and the unreasonable indefensible fan favorite james mccann because <laughs> oh, he he had a good right. year this year, but with Alex Avila gone and everyone just so excited about that, I think they're going to be all over McCann. Um, you know, even if he doesn't necessarily get off to a great start at the plate, he didn't hit very well against right-handers last year, and he's probably going to be facing more of them this year. So we'll see what happens with him. Man, I, I don't know if I can top those answers because when I saw the scapegoat question, Castellanos was the first name that popped into mind because, like you said, he's already been kind of part-time scapegoat for a couple of years now, and. Uh, he still needs, I think, some time to kind of get seasoned. He's getting better incrementally, but, you know, he was touted very highly as just a plus-plus hitter, and, uh, you know, it's just taking him some time to ripen, that's all. Um, but as far as the, uh, I, you know, the other thought that I had was Mike Pelfrey. And, uh, again, you know, as far as much as I tout Pelfrey and what I what value I think he brings to the team, uh, you know, I've always said, too, I don't expect him to be Cy Young either. I expect him to be very Rick Porcello. I expect him to be mediocrely good. Um, but he's the kind of, if he performs the way I think he's going to perform, there will be, you know, enough of those games where he gets hammered pretty hard uh, that people will kind of go with their, you know, already predetermined anger you know, about the signing and whatever else. That so He's just going to take, I think, a, a hell of a lot of criticism you know, beyond what, what he actually deserves. Just my opinion. As far as the uh, indefensible fan favorite, yeah, McCann is already that. He, I mean, he did fine. He acquitted himself, you know, behind the plate very well. Um, but, I mean, he's not, I don't know, insert name of favorite rookie phenom catcher here. He's he's adequate, and that's it. Uh, and he's still got some things to learn. He's not great offensively. Uh, we saw how quickly the fan base would turn on a guy like, you know, Alex Avila, who was phenomenal, phenomenal defensively. 
And yet, you know, they, they people ragged on him because he sucked as a hitter, even though he got on base a lot. And McCann doesn't even have that going for him. So, um, yeah, just just give it time, and uh, he'll be the indefensible fan favorite until people get sick of his lack of offense, and then he'll become the scapegoat. So. Well, do you remember the article that we wrote last year about his pitch framing and how it wasn't that good? It's terrible. I believe the, uh, the article was something like he's one of the worst pitch framers in baseball. Yeah. And I can't remember who actually wrote it, but the comments were just brutal in that. And people were, you know, all over it saying, oh, pitch framing isn't real and, and whatnot and, <laughs> it's so and all real. this stuff. And just making making up any sort of excuse to defend him. And so we'll see. You know, I'm definitely hoping that he, you know, comes out and proves us wrong, too. And he has a great year. Um, you know, and even if he's adequate, that's okay. They don't need him to be a superstar, but you know people will definitely treat him like one. No, I got nothing wrong with the guy. I'm just saying he's he's you know average, and people act like he you know should have won Rookie of the Year last year or something. And you know I I just don't see that. So there it is. Dave Miller at D W Miller nineteen on Twitter says, "Would Juan Uribe have been a better signing than Mike Avilas?" Yes and no. Um, on the field, Uribe and and Avilas are kind of equal. I think Uribe, 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 God, I can't even say his name, is a little bit better hitter, um, but Avilas is more versatile defensively, a little bit better defender at this point, too, and he'll be able to kind of plug more holes, you know, however Brad Osmus sees fit to put him in the game at inopportune times. Um, but as far as off the field, it's Juan Uribe by a mile. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a guy who you Google Juan Uribe's name or, you know, Juan Uribe awesome. And there are all these articles saying Juan Uribe is the most amazing player ever. or Juan <laughs> Uribe is totally awesome and everyone loves him. Things like that. Um, he, I'm trying to think, He when he was with the Dodgers, he spent a day as the Dodgers manager. Um, you know, the, the last game of the season, yes. I believe the Dodgers let the players manage or whatever, yep. or they act as manager. And Juan Uribe was like wearing... Don Mattingly's jersey and wearing you know aviator sunglasses and it was pretty hilarious um, as far as that goes. Um, you know there are some other great stories. I know that we've both read that book, the best team that money can buy, right, uh, and there's right. some great stories about Uribe in that as well as just kind of a guy who everyone absolutely loves in the clubhouse. Hmm. Um, and you know it seems like he would be you know just kind of a great fit for this team as far as chemistry goes. Um, you know I think I think Avilas is probably a, a great guy too. But Uribe definitely seems like he has a little bit more fun out there. Uh, there's a reason why you can't say Juan Uribe, and that's because only Vin Scully can say Juan Uribe. That's just the way it is. If all those hours and hours listening to Vin Scully call Dodger games, I will forever now see the name Juan Uribe and hear it in his voice. So don't don't feel bad. It's, I would have rather signed Vin Scully. Hey, anytime. I, I mean, I love Dan Dickerson. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, just, just you know, maybe a month. Give me a month of Vin Scully calling Tiger ball games and telling. Can we put them? Can we put them together? Oh my God! Wouldn't that just be the end of it? That would break the radio. Holy crap! Yeah, I would never watch TV again if that were the case. And you know, I think this is Vin Scully's last year. I, I believe that's what I read. That he's coming back for the 2016 season, at least the home games for the Dodgers. But he's uh, retiring after this. So, if you don't have at least an MLB. TV audio subscription for 2016, you know, get one. I think he is on the radio side of things for the home games, I, I think, at least for the yeah. first couple innings. 
I mean, I'll put on ML. I put it on MLB TV, and I don't even necessarily watch the game. I just listen to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the TV subscription is more than the audio subscription. So, but it went if, down this year. It's only like a hundred bucks or something like that. Seriously? It went down. Yeah, there was some sort of like lawsuit, and I think they settled, but it went down. Awesome. So the price went down this year. So I'm and re-upping the subscription. They're offering they're offering single team, and uh, like a single team option too for like eighty five bucks or whatever. Wow. So if you like only want the Tigers, which like I don't necessarily know why we you would do that, like just spend the extra ten fifteen bucks and get the whole thing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't anyway because I'm in Michigan. So if I just bought the Tigers, I would get nothing but blackouts. But you could only buy the Dodgers, I guess, if you wanted to it's go true. that route. That's true. I, but I like some of the other team broadcasters too. So, but no, this this season I will make every effort to watch as many freaking Dodgers games as I can because man, Vin Scully, awesome. Do the Tigers play the Dodgers this year? No. They play the NL East this year because they're coming to D.C. Right. Damn it. Ugh. It's going to be the best week ever. Yeah, I'm just they, saying. If it's I, it's if I can awesome go when Vin Scully is calling a Tigers game because he tells all those too. stories about the players that you had no freaking clue that that was. Didn't yeah. he told, what was it, some story about like Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer and his lucky that belt. Were, that we were all like, where the yes. hell did that come from? Yes. He Max. finds all these things out, and it's ridiculous. Max Scherzer has a lucky belt, and mm-hmm. that's what Vin Scully found out. And that one day he lost it and was like stomping around the, the locker room because he couldn't there, find his belt. There was an amazing feature about Scully on uh, the, uh, the SB Nation mothership, um, I want to say a couple years ago or so, and just about how, you know, kind of like a little short yes. biography, like how he, you know, came to be a broadcaster and whatnot, and how he still, you know, does all these things and prepares, you know, so much for games and whatnot. And, you know, it was just a fantastic read. I'm going to have to go back and look at that again. Yeah, that, I remember reading that, that long form, uh, amazing piece. <laughs> I was just laughing because I think I remembered this story. It wasn't Max Scherzer. He, he did tell the story of Scherzer and the lucky belt, but no, the one that had all of us going, what in the hell was the story about Tory Hunter and about how his dad went to prison and was gone for a couple months. And then he came back and Tory came back home one day and like put his dad's coat on and went to school and found a crack pipe in the, the jacket. See, and pocket. I'm thinking of, I'm still thinking of another story that he told. This was a two game series. It and was we're coming up with like several stories that Scully told that I'm we gonna, had never heard from anyone else before. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to those games now because they're just, on the archive. Just a legend. Might have to do a post about that. We'll see. All right. Final question from Robin Runyon at atomic pixie on Twitter. Am I the only one who still likes Brad Osmus? I mean, I mean, yeah. Maybe? No, of course not. There's plenty yeah. of lunatics in the asylum. <laughs> you can't be the only one. No, probably not. I will say, though, like, I've still, I'm still optimistic about what he's going to bring to the table this year. Um, you know, the, I'm still very encouraged about what Al Avila had to say about him and specifically how the players all kind of came to bat for him. Um, when all of that, you know, kind of news or uh, news, I guess I say in quotes about him being fired at the end of the season and how they, you know, went about evaluating him and seeing if he really was the best fit for this team. Um, and I don't necessarily think that players are just going to kind of pay lip service to something like that. You know, this is a guy that they're going to be with for six, seven months out of the year who's really kind of calling the shots. They're going to want the best guy in the position to do that possible. And the fact that they, you know, really kind of came out, you know, which with such strong support 
for him, I think, speaks well to what we can expect. He's never going to be a great in-game tactician, I don't think, and that's going to be frustrating as all hell. But if he's managing the other 21 hours of the day a lot better than those three on the field, then I'm okay with that. And uh, you, you can't see me, listeners, but I'm just I'm just sitting here making a wanking motion so hard, and I'm not going to stop for like three minutes. Just three minutes of silence and me wanking. That's what I think about all of that. Uh, I had just about gotten to the point of coming to peace with the fact that Osmus was coming back because baseball season ended and I had a couple months, you know, to step back from it and uh, get some distance and be okay with it. And then I saw him give that interview on MLB network during the winter meetings. And he talked about the bullpen management issue and how the fact that, you know, he, well, I didn't really have a guy that I could slot into the seventh, eighth and ninth innings. And so I had to mix and match and it just, it didn't go well. And I went, you dick, you stupid idiot. Freaking, and I was mad all over again because he went on TV and basically admitted if I don't have role guys to put in their slots, then I haven't got a freaking clue what I'm doing. And I went, okay, I'm angry all over again, and he's going to be back, and he's going to piss us off next year. And you know what he's going to do? Do you know what he's going to do? I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to use Justin Wilson as a fucking loogie. He's going to bring him out the same way he got used in New York, uh, the way that Joe Girardi used him. He's going to walk him out there to be doing like, you know, uh, how he used uh, Wilson to face uh, Bryce Harper because it was lefty on lefty, and then he pulled him, you know, and brought in uh, Dylan Batanzas. Ospis is going to do that, and he said as much. He said as much. And how he was going to use these guys, he said he'll use Wilson and Lowe as setup men based on matchups. F*** you, Brad Osmus. I am. <clears throat> Can we stop? Can we end this segment now? Sure. Okay. This is kind of funny. I'm angry <laughs> all over again. <laughs> I can't afford to be angry. I need my medication. All right. When we come back, we will wrap up this crazy long-ass show with the seventh inning Kvetch, and we're going to let Rob rant on why media coverage just sucks when we get back. Three now. Here's the 2-2. Oh, boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Red Osmus better get out there quickly. Oh, Victor got wow. All right, so let's hit into the home stretch here with our seventh inning Gvetch segment. This is where we get to kind of sound off on whatever the hell we want to sound off about. And uh, Rob, you put some stuff here in the show notes that you wanted to talk about media coverage in sports and why it's mostly awful. And apparently this is kind of all stemming from what happened over the weekend with the Super Bowl. And... Uh, it's kind of all over the news. I was just reading about it this morning. Uh, that you know, post game interview with Cam Newton, the quarterback for the uh, Carolina Panthers, um, and he boy, he had a rough game. That that poor kid got knocked seven ways to Sunday, including the one play where uh, the, the the Broncos forced a fumble on him and it turned into, into a defensive touchdown. I mean, I've I've never seen him under so much pressure in a game, and it was just uh, very unfortunate. And then they had the post game interview, and he ended up uh, well, aside from just being very terse. During the interview, he ended up walking out, you know, halfway through it and saying, screw it, I'm done. Um, so this apparently inspired something of a, of a rant. Well, it, yeah, it did. And I remember I went back and watched the whole Newton's whole interview. You know, people say that he walked out, but he was in there for answering questions for a good three, four five minutes or so. It was mm-hmm. not like two questions and he was gone. Uh, you know, he's being asked all these questions, and in particular, one that was asked repeatedly, I want to say three, four, five times, was, can you put your disappointment into words? Oh, yeah. uh, and first of all, first of all, what kind of 
terrible question is that, you know, the guy just lost the biggest game of his life. This is something he's been training for, for what, 20, 25 years. This is, you know, his dream. And he's had it from him. And, and that really wasn't necessarily his fault. His teammates, you know, we can get into that whole thing, but, you know, he, he was really kind of hung out to dry. And I guess that's all I'll say about actual game itself. Um, but then you have the media asking him all of these shitty questions about can you put your disappointment into words how the hell do you think he feels after this um and he's just being you know and then he walks out on this press conference after being asked the same question over and over and over and what the heck do you think he's gonna say oh you know it's not that bad or whatever you know obviously he's pissed uh you know he had to watch the broncos you know celebrate all over the field i think they there are even you know pictures of him going out and congratulating Peyton Manning personally before he went back into the locker room and had to do this stupid interview. Um, and it just goes to show that how crappy sports coverage can be, you know, t- journalists and whatnot are, you know, they're looking for quotes after the game so that they can fill their deadline. And then they get mad that someone like Marshawn Lynch doesn't answer their question the way that they want it or whatever. And they want the, you know, these guys to, you know, give thoughtful quotes. But then the one time that a guy actually does, you know, kind of act out and doesn't be a robot and shows some emotion like Cam Newton did when he was, you know, pissed off that he had lost the biggest game of his career, then he gets just absolutely crucified in the media for being, you know, a sore loser and a baby and whatnot. And it's just such a ridiculous double standard as far as that goes. Um, You know, in Newton's case, I think that, you know, not to get too political, but I think it is a little bit, you know, racially charged with a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, kind of double standard and, you know, pointing one way and looking the other as far as he goes, as far, uh, you know, being a quarterback in the NFL. Um, but it's just ridiculous. And, you know, we see this all the time, you know, in media coverage everywhere else, you know, Prince Fielder, he comes out after the ALCS and he doesn't necessarily give the answer that reporters wanted there as far as, you know, how he felt after that game, you know, he gave, you know, a, you know, an honest answer. Uh, and he was absolutely, you know, just torn apart by the Detroit media for that answer, saying that he wanted to, you know, go home and see his kids and whatnot. Um, It's just ridiculous that, you know, that sports writers are able to, you know, just kind of write whatever they want. Uh, There's no real, I guess, blowback for anyone that does anything ridiculous there. We're just now getting to the point where, you know, sports writers and other people in the media are actually meeting, you know, meeting consequences for doing, you know, awful things to to women in the industry and whatnot and it's it it really just kind of pisses me off to see you know so many hacks stay alive in the industry when good people you know people like the writers at grantland are getting fired for producing quality work and the internet is really just kind of turned not necessarily into who's the best it's just whoever's the loudest or whoever's first or first seems to be the thing and you're right I mean, it's the same in pretty much any sport and we can go back to you know the baseball season uh, you know I quit watching the post game interviews you know a long time ago just because it's the same six quotes every time whether it's the player or the manager unless you're talking about you know Brad Austin's making some boneheaded decision and somebody wants to ask him why did you do it this way okay then you get something of an explanation that's not the and standard. then and then the one time that he actually gets pressed for that it's our writer doing the questioning Exactly. I will, I will point that out. Exactly. Because it's we're asking the questions and, and there was definitely a yeah, I'm not gonna not to not to pat my own back or toot my own horn or anything like that, but um at that White Caps winter banquet, you know, we were in that media event, we were there with all the, the beat writers and, you know, columnists and whatever. Uh you know, and a lot of them were just asking the players the same 
boilerplate questions. And I felt like, you know, we were some of the only ones in the room that actually had some different angles that we wanted to take. Nick Castellanos, tell me about, you know, the training system in the in the Tigers organization and the farm system. Tell me about that. He, he was excited to talk about it. It was a different question. You know, I sat and talked with Richard Doobie and wrote that post for the site. And, you know, he was surprised that anybody even wanted to talk to him about what a pitching coach does, this kind of thing. Uh, you know, so, yeah, when it comes to the post-game interviews and things like that, you just get tired of hearing the same uh, quote-generated kind of stuff. You know, well, we just got to get out there and turn the page and, you know, tomorrow's another game. And we gave it 110% and left it all on the field and blah, 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 blah. But you're right. The minute anybody departs from the boilerplate template, it's uh, it doesn't usually go well. And I can only think of a few rare, uh, you know, exceptions to that rule. I think, uh, uh, geez, my brain just blanked. Um, Cubs manager is Joe Madden, right? He does a, a pretty good post game interview, I think. Uh, Joe Girardi is extremely. He just always seems pissed off when he gives his post game interview, so his tend to be kind of entertaining in that respect. But I mean, outside of a couple of you know exceptions, that's. It's useless, as is most sports media. You can talk about the post-game interview, or you can talk about the Tigers post-game show. You know, when they bring on their analysts to talk about what happened in the game, and it's the same. <laughs> you know, I, I wrote a post about this, like, three years ago, didn't I? About, uh, you know, how they're, Probably. they're always saying the same things, you know. How, how... I mean, you know, if we wanted to write a if we wanted to write a game story with, like, fake quotes in it, I think people would totally buy it. Sure. I completely buy it. We could write, you know, the same cliched quotes every time out. Copy and paste from game to game. It's not just the quotes, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's even the analysis that comes after the game in the booth, you know, and Craig Monroe, not to knock Craig Monroe because he's not alone in this. Everybody does it, but you say, you know, Craig, what did you see out there tonight? Well, you know, Verlander, he just had all his pitches working and he had control of the ball and he was moving the ball around. He'll say the same thing the next night, you know, it's just, it's the same stuff. And there's, Maybe it's because there's nothing more interesting to say. I mean, I guess if I were the guy out there swinging the bat and somebody asked me, you know, talk about your performance tonight, I don't know what I would say other than, I don't know, I was seeing the ball well. You know, I got some good swings on the ball. What more are you going to say? I mean, how hard is it to ask a question like, you know, let's say, you know, Ian Kinsler has a game-winning hit. You could just say, what pitch were you looking for in that bat? Or something like that. Like, it's a, not that difficult to think of a better question, something that kind of opens it up a little bit. Um, and I, it just boggles my mind that it's this hard to do. And then you get sports writers, you know, complaining, uh, for instance, like with the Cam Newton thing, they're complaining that he's leaving this press conference early and they're bashing him as being, you know, this sore loser and whatnot. Um, and, and it's just ridiculous. You know, I read today that he kind of doubled down on that. Cam Newton says, I've been on a record to say that I'm a sore loser. Who likes to lose? You show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. So <laughs> it's, you, what do you expect out of a guy who lost the biggest game of his life? Do you expect him to just kind of go along and answer all your questions like yes, sir, no, sir, and whatnot? It's, it's just totally ridiculous that, you know, the, the sports media just kind of thinks that the, you know, the athletes after the game, they're able to just kind of parade around and, you know, do all the, do all these tricks for them so that they can to meet their deadlines or whatever. Your and job's not that hard. Your job is not that hard. Write something interesting. None of it's interesting. None, we do it the practically players. for free and we do it better than you. Well, and you know, they get coached on this, right? The players do and the coaches and everything. They, they go through. They get coached so that they don't run into situations like this. Exactly. If you're boring, then no one cares. No one says anything bad about you. Exactly. And, uh, it's and like again. that. It's like that scene from um, 
what is it, Bull Durham when he's yes. coaching him on the bus and what to say? Yeah. That's so true. It's exact. I mean, that movie is, what, 25, 30 years old mm-hmm. or something like that? And it's still true today. Yeah, but it's absolutely the truth. And you can go back to a book like, uh, oh, God, what was that one called? Was it called Ball Four? One of the first kind of tell-all yeah, books. I haven't read that one, but it's kind of... A little bit of a controversial one from what I heard. Yes. I mean, it's it's old. You know, the guy played in like the 60s or early 70s. But I, I want to say there's a point in the book where he addresses that kind of thing, too, where like, you know, you, you, there's certain things you just have to say and you can't say other things. And like talking to Nick Castellanos at that event and asking him about, you know, the the state of the farm system and the coaching and everything, you could tell like he doesn't want to say anything, you know, that's going to possibly get him in trouble. You know, he doesn't want me writing a story where he said, yeah, in fact, this particular coach really screwed me up. Even though that might be the case, you know, he's got to watch what he says, you know, and just kind of hint at it and say, yeah, there's, it's very important to get everybody on the same page. Oh, but let me backtrack and say, you know, but I really appreciated what this coach did for me and this one had a good idea or whatever. They're not allowed to be honest because of, you know, look, I get that that Jonathan Papamone is a complete dickhead, right? But I always very much enjoyed his honesty in, you know, saying certain things like, you know, I, I want to be traded. I don't want to play for this team anymore. They suck. You know, people said, oh, man, lousy team player, whatever. But I thought, man, that's refreshing. At least he's being honest for once. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know if he's the best example because, you know, he might be kind of a rough team player given what we what we saw towards the end of the season there. But right, no, right. I definitely get it. And, you know, getting some of these guys and saying, you know, some more honest things, it's refreshing. But at the same time, the blowback that they get in the media is just ridiculous. You know, why are we penalizing these team, these guys for, you know, giving honest opinions about questions that they're asking? Like if you, if you aren't expecting an honest answer, why are you asking that question in the first place? Because it's safe. Just give me the safe little soundbite quote and I'll put it in the paper and, you know, and then we can all move on with our lives and don't go outside of that because, uh, you know, it's uh, you're right. It's it's kind of a two part thing, though. It's I think the journalists you know have to learn to ask the more interesting questions so they can get something other than the boilerplate answers. And I, you know, I think the players and coaches should be free to be a little bit more. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some examples of guys that I did enjoy. You know, Sparky Anderson was always fun. You know, to listen to him give an interview just because he was just he was so colorful in the way he expressed himself. Jim Leland was fun too. Jim Leland was that you always felt like uh, he was he was shooting completely straight in anything that he said, and he would get frustrated too with the questions, and he wouldn't you know wouldn't hesitate to let him know. Well, that's a stupid question. You know, who asked that? You know, what do you mean? You know, the way he would kind of come back at the reporters that way and. Um, yeah, you kind of miss, like I said, there's, there's, there's some exceptions to the rule, but it's, it, there aren't many of them. But luckily, we're awesome, right? We are. And, <laughs> you know, that the night of that Whitecaps banquet was just amazing. Seeing all the stuff that went up. I, I think I was drunk somewhere at that point. Um, but seeing all the stuff that went up on the site was just incredible. To, you know, all this unique content that we're producing. Um, I know that Phil Coke's brain, I'm still calling him Phil Coke's brain, has done some great stuff as far as, you know, the minor league food thing that he wrote, almost kind of turning that on its head as far as like a you know, social media stuff that he did. And then you guys getting Don Kelly to actually read some of those tweets was just amazing and definitely the highlight of the night. 
Oh, that was absolutely, I, I can't believe that it happened. And it was kind of an idea that, that I'd had as soon as I found out Don Kelly was coming and I knew that Comerica Eric was going to be there. And he was the one that started the whole Donnie Deeds thing. And as soon as, you know, I was like, oh, you know what we have to do? We have to get him to read these tweets. And it was really a question of whether, you know, we would have the guts to actually approach him and say, here's a really stupid idea that we had. And would you please make a fool of yourself on camera for us? But Thankfully, he really is a genuinely nice guy, and, and he played along with it. Donnie Deeds did. wouldn't drink. I I wish that we had been able to keep you know the whole video. I wanted to trim it down just to the portion of him reading it. But there's an earlier spot in the video where he um where I first hand him the the sheet of paper, the printout of the tweets, and he, for about you know six or seven seconds, he's just reading them like silently to himself, and he just busts mm-hmm. out laughing, you know, because <laughs> he clearly enjoyed you know the content of it. So it was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, who's who's going to think to do something silly like that? And I watched him give so many interviews that night that they were just so. I'd hate to be him having to answer that same question over and over again. It was way more fun just to talk to him one on one and not even with a microphone in his face. I mean, once we got him to do that, we just chatted. You know, and uh-huh. just, you know, what are you up to these days? How is the recovery from the surgery going? Do you? He lives in Pittsburgh. He freaking lives in Pittsburgh, right? Isn't like, he near Jim isn't Leland? He, isn't he from Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize that that was where he kept his home, but uh, yeah, he drove up to the banquet himself. I mean, <laughs> there's your ultimate Donnie Deeds. You know, he didn't take the team bus or make them fly him, and he drove up by himself in his own car. Don Kelly, everybody. And yeah, he talked about the fact that he still keeps in touch with the skip, as he called him, Jim Leland, and said, oh yeah, I, I talked to him about, you know, my recovery and any advice he might have for me and this sort of thing. And I, I said, man, I would love to have Jim Leland's phone number. I would take advice from him on just about anything up to and including, you know, financial investments. And he laughed and said, Skip will always shoot straight with you. That's the one thing you can count on is he will always give you a straight answer. I said, man, yeah. That, I mean, but that's the kind of thing I would like to, you know, I'd rather write a post about that. You know, who's, who is going to carry that kind of material? If not for, you know, sites like Bless You Boys or people that kind of follow, you know, that, that same pattern. It's hopefully more websites will begin to do that and sports will become fun to read about again, I guess. Maybe that'd be nice. Yeah. We could do more if they pay us more, but <laughs> we're not going to get into that. Oh, well, yeah. None of the bosses are listening this far into it anyway. We can say what we want. <laughs> That's right. Kurt quit listening about, I don't know. Two, Kurt never started listening two hours and 50 minutes ago. Cause he had to go pee. That's what. Oh, so I think uh, that should just about do it. That uh, that's another podcast in the books. Rob, any final final thoughts? How many days till spring training? How many days till opening day? Spring opening training. Day. I, I've I've always said that spring training is not that fun. First week is great, but then after that, it's not fun. Uh, yeah, the first two weeks I think are fun. Yeah. Over our our friends at Over the Monster wrote a great post about kind of the the spring training schedule and your your fall into oblivion. Oh. With with that, it's it's very funny. So uh, we will have to post that in the show notes. But it is <laughs> is quite funny. I know we've linked it on the site already, but we'll we'll uh, have to link that again. It's it's a great read. Well, I mean, I'm with you in the sense that after the first couple of weeks, it's like okay, let's get to real baseball. But the thing is, when you, when you stand back and look at it, I had that saying that I put on Twitter some years ago, and I continue to to post it periodically. And I said, here here's the whole thing about baseball: spring training. The games don't count. April, we don't draw any conclusions. July, hey, still a lot of baseball left yet. And then by September, it's, you know, well, okay, it's starting to get 
to the point of being serious, and then October is just shit. You know, so even once you get past spring training, it's like, yeah, we're watching baseball in April, but it's still kind of, you know, you can't do anything with it at that point. You can't, the sample sizes are still too small. You don't want to draw any conclusions from the fact that Miguel Cabrera just went 0 20, you know, or anything like that. Or Justin Verlander's fastball looks amazing, you know, because it's only been two outings. Really, baseball season doesn't start to like Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> I mean, Whatever. It's almost here. I'm excited. I'll take it. I'll take it over what we're dealing with now, which is talking about J.D. Martinez extensions. Just please give us some baseball. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. Always remember, we are only one half of the conversation, and you are the other half. So leave us your comments at the website at blessyouboys.com or on Twitter, hook slide BYB or BYB Rob. Send us an email at bybtigers at gmail.com. So, on behalf of Robert Jackie and bored baseball fans everywhere, this is Hook Slide. Have a happy Valentine's weekend, and remember that I love you all, just not in that way. And we will see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle. <laughs>